everyone and welcome back to the pod in the pendulum the horror movie podcast covering all horror franchises one movie in one episode at a time i am your host mike snoonian joined once again by my fantastic co-host Lindsay travis Lindsay, how are we i'm good you must be excited this is it they just announced a new batman animated series they did with matt reeves with matt reeves um which like how many failed to launch batman projects is this guy gonna have I said that well, sentence out of order. Um, and uh, yeah, with J.J. Abrams, mm-hmm. the rabbi, as I call him. And although maybe not so much ever since Star Wars, but I still call him the rabbi. And also with Bruce Tim, So that's exciting. That is exciting news. Do you think Kevin Conroy will be back or is he officially no. retired? I doubt it, but I would be excited, but yeah. no way. All right. But He's we'll retired. see. Okay. Who knows? Well, yes. we're not here to talk all things Batman tonight, although we could. We could easily, easily get off track when it comes to <laughs> Batman. So, but we won't. We are here 
talk we, one more time about one special movie. Lindsay, let's turn it over to you. We are packing up the Delta one last time. We are visiting the cabin in the woods one last time. Okay, we're bringing some new friends tonight. Not only are we taking Mia, David, Eric, Olivia, and Natalie, we also have our guest, Matt Donato. Donato, woo! Donato is a writer, podcaster, and streamer. He co-founded Certified Forgotten, which is a website and a podcast, which I guessed it on. Uh, check out the episode called Fugue. Um, he streams once weekly with Perry Nemiroff for the Merry Hour. He writes everywhere, including Slash Film, What to Watch, Fangoria, and most importantly, he has a column at Bloody Disgusting called Revenge of the Remakes. So who better to take this trip into the woods and chat about the 2013 remake, Evil Dead, Matt Donato, how are you doing? Doing great. I might be biased, but I think there is no one better to take this journey with you. Wow. You know, if we listed a bunch of people, would you be like, nope, I'm still better? Absolutely. One by one. Should we name names? <gasps> Go for it. We do that? Oh, Let's that's... not do that. We'd be here all. I would, I would not be able to stop doing that. So, <laughs> wow. So you've thrown down the gauntlet early. Yeah. Just want to let you know that you've thrown it down. So we'll direct all hate mail to you if it's like this was the worst show the ever. Worst this episode ever. Let's not pretend that like three and critters four. Let's not pretend that as soon as we decided to do Evil Dead, we both were like, and Donato has to come on for the remake episode. Of so he was the first one booked, if I remember. <laughs> yeah. So, so let's be real. And there is this is funny because I haven't written about this yet in the column. This is one I'm going to tackle because. First, I have committed the sacrilege of writing about Freddy and Jason, and I got plenty of hate for what I did there. And I was like, I don't know if I'm ready to tackle Evil mm-hmm. Dead and tell the readers of Bloody Disgusting that the Evil Dead remake is the best of the franchise. So mm. I don't know how that's going to go down. Spicy wow. hot take. First yeah, we're, we're, coming, we're getting spicy already. Yeah. We're coming right now with the spice. So I'm going to give you advice. I'm going to say don't read the comments. Just as <laughs> yeah. always, general advice. Don't read the comments. Do, do you read the comments? Like when you write your stuff, do you go back and... I must confess that I indeed do. I, I do because I, as much as I know it's dumb, as much as I know mm-hmm. it's not good for your mental health or anything of that nature, I still want to know what people have to say. And mm-hmm. generally, I have to admit, I have not been, I've not been overwhelmingly roasted in the comments mm-hmm. of my Revenge of the Remake columns. Everyone seems to be pretty on board with what I've said. Mm-hmm. Sans uh, Friday the 13th, yeah. that one got plenty online and offline. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was lots there, but it's been a decent journey like that. And listen, I try to learn from these things. I know I don't have to. I know we don't have to give attention to the trolls and all these things, but Mm -hmm. I want to see what takes her out there. I like to genuinely engage with some people that do have the right mindset and want to converse because that's Mm -hmm. the whole thing. If you want to start a conversation with me, I'm all for it. I want to hear your opinion, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't happen a lot online as we know. (laughs) It's funny you said converse because Lindsay and I were talking during the dark man show we recorded for our patrons and i had mentioned how i had re-watched this movie a couple weeks ago and it was the first time i had seen it since theaters and didn't really love it i had a lot of issues with it and then as Lindsay and i were talking she just kind of gave like a different perspective of how to watch it and i'm like i'm gonna i have to do another rewatch of it and i went into it with that perspective and really liked it a lot more I'm like, yeah, there's a lot here that I really like. And I'm going to have, when we get to our final opinion of this, I think, you know, in line with what you were saying, Matt, I'm going to have like, not a spicy hot take, but like a Mr. Rogers warm and friendly 
type of take i would say i may have to go yeah no it was really like talking about how like watching and how it fits within the realm of it with still being its own thing i'm like yeah that makes sense so so what what do we know about this movie let's talk a little bit uh we don't have a lot about the uh, production history on this one because really it's just like we wanted to remake this movie and we found someone great to remake it and then we went ahead and got a great cast for it yeah not a ton we know that like Raimi and Tappert were back to produce it mm-hmm. um they wanted to make another uh we know I mean they bounced around a lot between making another army of darkness um making another you know evil dead sequel and what that was going to look like and they kind of landed here and even since they've always been bouncing between like if they're going to make a sequel to this movie or they're still going to go with another army of darkness and then there was like the evil dead four which like what is where does that go mm-hmm. what's evil dead four um which one's three this army of darkness i don't know um so yeah so we know we know that but that's not what mm-hmm. this one's about this one is about remake and i think what's so cool about this one is like We're talking franchise remake that in a lot of ways is kind of a requel again, Mm -hmm. perhaps. Um, We're kind of talking about a situation where it looks like it takes place in the same universe, but it also looks like it's maybe a remake. There are things that make it look different, things that make it look the same. And I think it's probably the same argument we could have between Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. Mm -hmm. Um, We get to kind of have that conversation again. I don't know. I don't know. But maybe let's pause. Let's talk about what was our first experience with this movie. If we remember. So Matt, let's start with our guests. What was your first experience with the Evil Dead remake? I think all of our guests, I don't think anyone has watched the series in order. Okay. So none of our guests have, yeah. That's a good question. I believe I definitely didn't watch the series in order. I take it back. Because my introduction actually was Army. Mm -hmm. So I started with Army of Darkness. I think I went back to the Evil Dead 2. Evil Dead, the original came third and then this did come last because this Mm -hmm. was the last one i saw as you know it came out theatrically Mm -hmm. i did not see it at south by southwest it hit south by southwest and premiered there i believe the year before i started going Mm -hmm. and i caught it in theaters with my friends i was still doing the uh i was i was getting into the critical world at this point so i got to review it but i didn't get to go to press screen or anything like Mm -hmm. that i was we were not there yet so so all my friends, midnight screening. That was the thing we did all the time. We would hit every horror movie at midnight. Effin loved it. That was like one of my favorite experiences for a long time. And it just rips. I don't know how to go any farther than that than saying I sat down in a theater to watch the Evil Dead remake. I went in thinking, how are they going to do it differently? How are they going to pay homage? How are they going to do all these things? And Fede Alvarez did everything that I wanted him to do in a remake. He basically set the template for how you tell your own story, still honor the previous and tie everything together to make your own standalone film. And I walked out of the theater like buzzing. I have since seen this movie 10, at least 10 times. I I rewatch it. It's my Halloween go-to now. It's the one movie I have to watch on Halloween because it is scary. It is intense. And it's also like a great group watch. So Mm -hmm. that is is my experience. Love that. When you say it's a great group, I have a quick question. When you say it's a great group watch for Halloween, I know... For a lot of us that are really immersed in the horror world, we have our friends that don't necessarily love and embrace horror like we do. Like I have my friends that left my 14th birthday, 14th, 40th birthday party um, because they couldn't handle American Werewolf in London. We got a private theater for which God love them. I can understand that. 
that just wasn't you know their thing we told them we were going to watch rocky and we brought the wrong rocky sequel we brought like rocky five accidentally we're like nope not ringing in my 40s with rocky five can't do it um were your friends that don't when you get together as a group in halloween is it all like your horror loving peers or are there people that are like give me something scary in halloween but i'm going back to like you know, romantic comedies or straight up comedies or Pixar the next day? So I've done both. Uh, mm-hmm. I've done with my horror loving friends that we all, you know, we all know the names. And for that, it's a comfort watch. For that, it's something mm-hmm. that we've, a lot of people rediscover because it's a remake. Maybe people saw it the first time and didn't give it the credit it deserved, quote unquote. Uh, and it just had that stink of a remake on it. So a lot of films got maligned in that era for that. Mm-hmm. But they rewatched it again, all of a sudden realized, holy crap, this thing is actually scary and terrifying, all these things. And then I have showed it to other friends too. So there have been, like you go on and off year by year and a few of the years, well, actually one in particular, I just watched it with some coworkers. They came mm-hmm. over. We just did like a Halloween movie night because I don't really want to do anything. They didn't have plans. So yep. I showed it to them and it was very much turning away at a lot of the gruesome scenes. It was sure. very much being overwhelmed by what's happening, but the sustaining factor is this is a larger budget horror film that goes so frighteningly deep into the darkness of the film where it plays the scares so well. It's that entertainment scare factor where you are jumping, you are grabbing someone next to you, but you're still loving every minute of it. It's not an abusive sense of horror. It's not anything of that nature. It is meant to terrify you, but have a good time in an event-based way. And that's where everyone still watched the entire thing despite maybe not wanting to. Sure. So they might've like peered through some fingers at some points, but they still made it all the way through. A lot of pillows on faces, a lot of burying under drinks Mm -hmm. and things of that nature, but uh, they got there and they finished it. And I I was that I was impressed. (laughs) Excellent. I know for me, this would have been, if not opening night, then opening weekend in a packed theater. And I think that is the best way to experience this movie um in movies of its ilk overall um and i was someone that i was definitely late to the party on the evil dead franchise like i had seen all of them before i had seen them all multiple times before and i knew that i loved these movies but um i was very interested to see what they would do in terms of a remake because you know the remakes from the aughts are kind of a mixed bag there are some that i think are pretty terrific and then there are some that you know I could kind of do without. And it's not the fact of whether or not they're a remake, but it's a fact that just, you know, they weren't necessarily great movies. Um, and it was re- everything I heard going into this made it seem like it was going to be a home run. Like the news seemed mostly positive. Like it's never going to be universal, but it seemed like everything, the practical effects, the fact that like Raimi and Tappert and Campbell were producing, um, the fact that they were kind of like, going back to the roots and doing like more of a a scary movie than going for the camp factor, which I still love. um, But at my heart, like I'm a scary movie guy. And I walked out of the theater thinking, yeah, they mostly nailed it. Like I definitely walked out of there. I really enjoyed that movie. They got it right. It was like bloody as hell. Uh, It was definitely in 2012, 2013 is a very interesting time for horror because I think we have started to say like, oh, the past, like since it chapter one came out and hereditary has come out, horror is big again. And it's like, no, like these are massively successful movies 
almost five or six years before that, like in movies that were very like the first conjuring comes out, but you also have all these great indies like Benson and Moorhead do resolution. There's the VHS films. There's really great found footage, like the conspiracy theory. Um, You know, there's divides on this, but I actually like Eli Roth's green Inferno, the uh, cannibal movie. Like I actually really enjoy that movie. And I think Rob Zombie hits it out of the park when he goes like giallo Italian mind fuck horror with Lords of Salem. So all this great stuff is coming out and evil dead remake is in the middle of it. And I loved it. And then I never watched it again until two weeks ago. And I didn't love it, but to be fair, I had like, just like, was lying on the couch with my knee elevated and a torn ligament in my knee and feeling bad for myself. And I'm like, in the middle of that, I have this kind of like, in a lot of ways, downer of a movie. Um, and rewatching it again for this show, I'm like, yeah, I was wrong. I should have like, and I probably had it in my Amazon cart, like for the Blu-ray a dozen times before ordering it for the show throughout the years and never pulled the trigger for whatever reason. I'm like, eh, it's going to be $2 cheaper. Like, you know, and then finally, um, I don't know if this will be like an every year watch, but I could see it easily pulling it out like every 18 months or so and just having it on because it is, it's a blast. Like it does so much right. Yeah. Lindsay, how about yourself? I don't remember exactly when I first watched it, but it was relatively recently. Like I've said on every other episode, Mm -hmm. I watched all the Evil Dead movies in a row pretty recently. Um, And it was like, love at first sight, immediate Mm -hmm. obsession and fandom. Um, But I don't know. I remember it. I remember watching the Evil Dead movies um, with a friend that would only make sense that it was when I moved to Toronto around 2013. So Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure like I started watching them when this movie was already out. So I didn't see it in theaters, certainly. Um, But I probably watched it around like once it was available at home. Mm -hmm. That's probably when I watched it. I just remember thinking like, holy shit, that like, cause you're watching the Evil Dead movies are horror comedies. Like, yeah, the first one isn't, but they're horror comedies. Yeah. And then that's kind of what the like franchise becomes. And there's the comic books and you know, the whole expanded canon and it's all kind of funny and jokey. And mm-hmm. so I don't know what I expected when I put this movie on, but I was like, oh no, holy shit. This is a scary yeah. movie. And then I remember thinking that it was scary and really great. I like remember it really, really well, but then I put it on to rewatch it for, um, for this. And I think I told you it's <laughs> already and forgive me, if this is an overshare, but I watched it. My food delivery didn't show up, which happens to me all the time. I have a food delivery curse. So I ordered food. It didn't show. So it was like 9 30 PM and I didn't have anything to eat. So the only place I knew that I could call was like an Indian restaurant and so I ate like a whole bunch of Indian food at like 9.30 p.m. And I didn't switch my AC on. So it was like really, really hot. So I like ate spicy food in a hot room, watched this movie and went right to bed. And I had the worst nightmares. Like I'm still a little spooked. I'm still a little edgy. And it was like three nights ago. And I'm like, I'm scared of this movie. Like even like talking about it, there's going to be moments where I'm gonna be like, I don't know if I'm ready yet. Like I rewatched the trailer just to get into the mood to record. And the part where the blonde guy, I already forget his name, is like, what did you do? I was already like, oh God, I'm not ready for this movie. Yeah. You had <laughs> some like spicy curry fever dreams over there. But that's yeah. not just like a nightmare. That <laughs> is- a bunch of 
like heavy hot food before bed in a hot room, you will have nightmares. Oh, I and I just, did that. <laughs> I can just see you reenacting like the vomit scene, like after all of that, after like, just yeah. like you know, it's funny you mentioned the blonde guy. I was going to say four friends and Eric go to a cabin. In the world, <laughs> yeah, just, I already forgot. It. Yeah, no one seems worst. to like him. No, he's the worst. He's just, Why was he there? Oh, uh, well. To, fuck to, to read up, the basically. book. Yeah, right. I guess. To, fuck, they were to like, fuck everything up, basically. They're like, we need a guy with big glasses because we have a glasses-based yeah. scare planned. I mean, he definitely, he fills the role of Scotty in the, in the original one. We're like, mm-hmm. oh my God, Scotty is a dick. But yeah. you can still kind of see why they like Scotty with this one. You're like, you know, like, and I would say like, it's probably years of being a high school teacher probably did that to him like he's mm. just jaded and angry mm-hmm. at that point but i mean they do they do instill a little bit of reason behind that with the whole eric versus david yeah. uh discourse that begins so mm-hmm. like there is a basis your, your friend has basically ignored you for the last however many years mm-hmm. and you know now you're all, all back together and they're gonna be a little hot and heavy there that's true yeah know. there'd be a little tension i guess I think maybe it's me, but I find like if there's friends I haven't seen in forever, like I tend to want to embrace them and like, you know, but then again, they you're are there a... to like detox their sister. So. You're not a dick like Eric, I guess, yeah, um, is the difference. I love how we're just but... like he- heaping it on Eric right now. Yeah. For... He deserves it, man. It's all <laughs> so his welcome fault. to our Eric hate episode. Yes. Um... Saves the day. <laughs> so we had started down the road of whether this is a remake, a reboot, a requill, a reimagining, or just a continuation. And you have a great note here about where this fits in and the detail that you picked up regarding the Necronomicon. So can you share that with our listeners? Yeah. So in trying to prepare, trying to research, there's a couple important details, but one of them is that Eric tries to burn the book and it doesn't burn, um, which is something that people have used in their, you know, evil dead, evil dead Two argument a lot that like Mm -hmm. Ash burns the book. So how is it back in evil dead Two? So this, in a weird way, kind of closes that loop that if you accept that at least that it at least happens in the same universe, I guess, mm-hmm. uh, that Eric burns the book and it doesn't burn. He's like, I'm trying and it won't. It's like Ash didn't actually burn the book. He just thought he did. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I'll yeah. buy it. If anything, whether you buy that or not, if anything, I love that as a like really great nod that um alvarez does in this movie Mm -hmm. like i think it's really cool that he at least tried whether you buy it or not yeah well i mean there are multiple nods too even you know he's definitely tying it to the entire franchise because yeah uh, the other note that is thrown around obviously is the car that jane levy is sitting on in the very beginning and we know that ash has been here we know that ash is no longer there the car has been there the entire time but so let me get this straight though you're saying that evil dead 2 is a sequel because of the book not burning in this one? I mean, that's not what I'm saying. That's what science is saying. Yeah, but um, how does that, how does it explain <laughs> how Evil Dead 2 starts out with a retcon of Evil you Dead 1 starting? We've I'm aware of that, but I get to say my piece now and Brad's <laughs> not here, so I don't care. Wow. Yeah, okay. Continue. It's a remake. Evil Dead 2 is a remake, and that is where mm-hmm. I'm standing on that. It retcons mm-hmm. the first. It does the first over, and it gives you Linda again to do it all again and set that up and get into an Evil Dead that, like, Raimi wanted to make. I feel like this, maybe this is overstepping, but I feel like the Evil Dead that Raimi made, the original one, 
was very much him making a horror movie to make a horror movie and just try to make money on it. I mean, that, yes. that, that is kind of in the yeah. past. What oh, he's said. on the, yeah, he's, like the, he's yeah, very he's much. Right. Yeah. yeah. So Evil Dead 2 to me is like him redoing Evil Dead the way he always wanted to get more slapsticky, have fun with it. And then Alvarez doing his remake, which is the second remake of the franchise, is him doing what Raimi never could. And that's not to say Raimi couldn't make a scary horror movie. It's just that the movie that Raimi made was on a very low budget. They did every, the best they could. And it is an entertaining movie to me. I still watch it and I go, wow, this is, this is the flourishes and the beginnings of a great director. But what Alvarez does here is basically take Raimi's movie and go, yeah, so you tried to do a scary movie. I'm going to one-up you. Like, sorry, not one-up you. I'm going to like seven-up you here and wow. make a goddamn scary movie. Whoa, spicy Whoa. hot takes, everybody. This is... This, I, I mean, I'm wow. not going to downplay. This is one of my favorite horror movies since mm-hmm. it came out. This is top three remakes ever for me. Uh, I think sitting, I would agree with that. Sitting mm-hmm. next to Maniac and probably The Blob. Yeah. And I would agree with that. Like, it, this is a scary effing horror movie. And to say what you were saying, or to, sorry, to go off what you were saying before, Mike, it, this came at a time where horror was shifting. Mm-hmm. And it shifted more into the art house, shifted more into the A24, shifted more into those kind of indie horror developments. And the mainstream... You know, we still had The Conjurings. We still had all those films come out. Don't get me wrong. But the mainstream really took a step back after the whole sauna sense, whatever we're going to call the Mm -hmm. torture porn era. And this, I, I hold this movie as one of the last really vicious, brutal, in your face horror films that did not afraid Sorry, that was not afraid. Not did not afraid. That's mm-hmm. not a sentence. That was not afraid to get so violent and nasty and again in your face. You just don't get that that much anymore, and especially on like a big budget mainstream horror film. Yeah, and this is three years after, I would say, like the reboot or remake era really ended. Like it really comes to like a sad conclusion with like a Nightmare on Elm Street in 2010, mm-hmm. and as much as I love this movie, like Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, which I think is one of the best entries in the whole franchise. And I hate his original remake, but I think like it's a, his H2 is purely his vision and what he wanted to do. But the Elm Street remake comes out and that is met with almost universal like disdain. Shit sucks. Yeah, it's just terrible. Yeah. It's a really... You know, aside from like what Thomas Decker and Kyle Gallagher are doing in that movie, like everything is pretty much eh about that one. Um, This is three years kind of after that crests and it does something that I wish more remakes. It's like a Hills Have Eyes does this as well, where it takes the bones of the original movie and it takes like the story and says, we can put a different spin on this story that still is recognizable that you can exist in that same universe that doesn't just slap a name on it oh and this is the same year that texas chainsaw 3d comes out which is oh, yeah that's the first movie i watched at home in 3d but not in my like at my friend's house we oh. like had our 3d glasses it was like a whole uh, yeah event texas chainsaw I, i'll tell our <laughs> listeners this texas chainsaw 3d is probably the reason we haven't done the Texas Chainsaw mm-hmm. Massacre like, franchise yet. Because I just like can't bring myself to rewatch it as much as I love the original and enjoy some of the others. I don't I just remember can't. anything that oh. happened. I just remember like fighting oh. with the cable box because you had to like call to get them to allow it. 
to play 3D movies and she had a 3D TV and we like sat really close because we couldn't get it to work super well. So it's like a fond memory of like sitting on my friend's mm-hmm. floor with like popcorn Boards and glasses just away on. from the screen. Yeah, 3D is Daddario, right? I am. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The tiniest. It's my favorite scene in any horror movie is Alexander Daddario running away from the killer, and there is the tiniest gate in cemetery gravestone history, whatever, (laughs) and she still manages to fall over it somehow because apparently in horror movies, women don't have any mobility skills. You can't run. run. Sorry, they just. Lindsay, how did, how did you learn to run? Can you explain how women do this? Well, I don't live in a horror movie, luckily, because otherwise I would not be able to run. That said, I'm like, mm-hmm. maybe not, you know, going to escape a deadite, yeah. but I would do better than Mia in, yeah. uh, in the woods here. Granted, she's in a pretty shitty state. Yeah, she's j- because, probably concussed. Yeah. Well, so we Barefoot. start, I mean... I'm assuming everyone's seen it by now, but mm-hmm. Mia, you know, we're at this cabin because Mia is going to detox. She's yes. flushing her drugs and she's going to detox. One of the friends is a nurse. Her brother's there. Also two other people. And they're going to, she's going to detox. And of course she starts to hear some voices after our good friend, Eric discovers and reads an Necronomicon and she freaks out and wants to leave, crashes her car in the woods, and she runs and trips and falls her way throughout the woods. So it's raining. She's she's detoxing. It's not a good time for her. It's believable that she would probably fall a lot. Yeah. yeah oh, yeah, she's... absolutely. Mud is slippery. Mm-hmm. And I was going to say, too, you're suffering the effects at that point where you're starting to go through withdrawals. I mean, they're very clearly showing that she is not having a good time, both medically and everything part of that. So, I I mean, I think the addiction angle is a brilliant way to bring people to the cabin and lock them to it because we all watch a ton of horror movies. That's what we do. And one of the big questions you have to answer is, all right, you've got you've got your characters to the cabin. Why are they staying there? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I, for me... The Evil Dead franchise as a whole has done this pretty well. They've found mm-hmm. ways to bring these people to the cabin and there's a reason they're stuck there. And, yep. you know, whether that be a giant river now flowing over your path or a bridge being upturned and you can't use it anymore, ex- mangled and crazy. The mangled curly finger it's, bridge. Oh, it's so good. But so good. this does something yeah. very yeah. human and emotional though. This does something where these people are here to help Mia. Every, like her loved ones are there to help her. It is very true what she's going through and she's it's she's gonna have a bad time everyone knows that but what everyone prepares for is for her to go through a transformation so the fact that she is going through some kind of other worldly worldly transformation on top of the fact that she's going through this you know transformation for the better in her sense of cleaning herself it is it's genius in a way because you've answered the question and you've done it in a way that has a lot of impact too it also gives cover to the friends not listening to Mia at first because they are anticipating like, okay, she's going with through withdrawal. She'll say anything right now to get out of this. And part of that withdrawal is going to be suffering from like hallucinogenic effects overall and hearing and possibly seeing experiences that feel very vivid, but aren't actually there. So it gives a lot of cover to why they're not, why they're kind of downplaying what she is telling them. And it starts like, pretty early and also like why her senses are so hyper aware at that point to the degree that she can smell the festering rot that's in the basement 
when nobody else can aside from the dog. And I really like that scene. I really like how like we don't smell anything right now. And she's just like, how do you not? And then the dog starts at that moment pawing up at the at the carpet and letting them and you when you go into that basement, it's so grotesque and you see what is going on down there. It's like just it definitely it it amps up the creep factor before the shit really hits the fan. Oh yeah. Like there's nothing that would did not order like a dead cat basement. You know, it's just nothing would keep me in there. And they're very nonchalant about it. They're very like, yeah, you know. They're like, oh, we should close this. Mm -hmm. And they just like move on. And throw a wick air freshener down there. (laughs) Just a little plug in. They're like, it's fine. And it's weird because the cabin is theirs. Like it's their cabin. Mm-hmm. Cause they talk about like going there with their, their late mother and it's their cabin. And then I guess they talk about their mom, you know, struggling with mental illness until she died. So I guess you kind of don't really know what happened to this cabin or what mm-hmm. state it was in, but that's kind of where like the requel thing is kind of like interesting because you're like, Oh, is this also the cabin that like Ash and his friends rented? Mm-hmm. And then it like, this family bought it this many years later like maybe i believe it mm-hmm. i think it's kind of interesting but yeah like what happened in their like family cabin in the past few years where like somebody summoned a deadite burned them at the stake and then did like witchcraft for years right. in the basement with like no one in the family noticing or worrying um you, you get the feeling it's just <laughs> fallen into the disrepair and no one has been there yeah um that that's why that spot might have been chosen um, mm-hmm. because this cat when they walk in like it's so and it's you know when in the first movie the cabin is definitely like it's not gorgeous accommodations like it's like rustic but not decrepit and when you when you walk into the cabin in this movie like it's decrepit uh, and it's just one of those things you see that and again it helps set the tone for what you're going to experience but that cold open is fucking wonderful the cold open is perfect it is so good when because if you know evil dead at all you know this chick's lying Mm -hmm. right like if you've ever seen any of these movies you have seen the uh linda basically being like no ash it's me Mm -hmm. or no it's her sit the sister well i guess they both do it they're like, Cheryl. no, Ash, it's me. Please don't. Um, and playing to the like, no, it's me. Don't you remember me? And that's such a like common theme throughout mm-hmm. all of the Evil Dead movies that as soon as she's like, dad, why are you doing this to me? You're kind of like, wait, what is happening? Mm-hmm. Why is this dad about to kill his daughter? And then like you see it coming, but it doesn't matter. Like you see mm-hmm. it coming, but it doesn't matter when she's like, I'll swallow your soul or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that's what she says. When she says I'll that line, your you're just soul like, from your body. Right. You're like, Oh my god! <laughs> like, ugh. And when she's like, "I'll kill you all," like I killed your wife. It's just oh, for, dark. Oh my god! It just, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And then and, yeah, that's like it, been happening. Yeah, and it hits like I could probably do like there's someone there that feels like they're incredibly burned, and there's no explanation for it. And then like the two persons that capture the young girl at the beginning like it's definitely is like straight from the hillbilly horror playbook mm-hmm. um and i could maybe do without like those elements of it all but eh, whatever they don't take away from it too bad but just like the 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 thought of the dad having to set his baby daughter on a fire and then 
blow her away with a shotgun to give her peace. It just sets, and then like the title hits, you get the big choral entrance, and you're like, I guess I know what you know. I signed up for at this point. Like, if you if you walked into there expecting like two hours of like groovy and give me some sugar baby, um, you kind of realize you really wrong. quick you were not going to get this. I like can't thinking back. Like, I can't imagine what my body would have done if I had seen this at like the South by mm-hmm. midnight screening with a bunch of fans. Like, I think I would have shattered into five million pieces. I think I'd still be talking about it now because that cold open is so perfect again not just for all the reasons that i already said but because exactly what you said it sets you up it tells you this is an evil dead movie if you know evil dead you know what's going to happen in this scene because this is an evil dead movie but also Mm -hmm. this is way scarier than an evil dead movie it's way meaner than Mm -hmm. an evil dead movie and it does all of that and tells you all of that in the cold open. Like if you were trying to sell this movie to me and you showed me that cold open, I'd be like, here's all my money. Yep. Like you told me everything that I need to know. Well, and that's know? why it is, as you've said, the perfect cold open, because that doesn't happen a lot in remakes. That doesn't happen a lot in a lot of the remakes that we have watched that we have obsessed over. A remake becomes a thing that is manufactured and wants to just, Hey, you remember Friday the 13th. You remember mm-hmm. nightmare on Elm street. I think, I'll get into Friday later because I do have thoughts that compare the Friday remake to this remake, but the nightmare one I'll use right now because nightmare is just created to be like, Hey, y'all remember Freddy Krueger? Well, we're going to do that again, but Mm -hmm. like with CGI and it's really not as good. So they never take the time to be like, we are doing our own thing for Fede Alvarez to come out of the gate that hard. And to say this, you know, this ate your mama's evil mm-hmm. dead. That is a statement that made me fall in love with this movie immediately as a remake fan, because it's done what you've both just said. It has told me that this is going to be nothing like the evil dead movies you have seen, but it will in fact be an evil dead movie. And you know what? We're going to do things our own way. That might mean, you know, exactly what's coming. That might mean that, I don't know, maybe we're just going to throw a little hints here and there that say, Yes, this is in the Evil Dead universe, but also this is going to be so much nastier than you can imagine. And literally, like, you've never imagined some of these things yet. So good luck almost. Oh, my God. And it is, there are a lot of callbacks. And maybe now would be a good time to maybe talk a little bit about those. There are a lot of nods to the original two movies, the first two movies in particular, um mm-hmm. sometimes they work their to their detriment and I've, I've said this like Lindsay and i were talking the other night and i've said this elsewhere like my one and i think like after my first rewatch of the movie the one thing that i'll say is like with the with sam raimi's movies i know what he loves by watching his movies i know that he loves three stooges i know that he loves like the banter of like dean martin and jerry lewis i know that he loves universal horror movies and that he loves like the epic sword and sandal adventures and stop motion of like uh, Harryhausen. All of that is on screen. Like Raimi is just, and he's not mimicking these things, but he's showing like, these are my passions and I get to like expose a new audience to them. My only complaint about Alvarez's movie really is like, I don't get a feel for what Fede Alvarez loves when I watch this movie, I get the feeling he's like, I made a kick-ass horror movie because he did. He made like a standalone on its own. Doesn't need the other three Evil Dead movies in front of it to be a great horror movie. But I don't know because I get like a lot of the callbacks to the original movie 
including like the quick cut in the cabin where it's like we have the battery we have the um adrenaline needle and we have like bing 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 it's like oh that's that evil dead too like that's the putting the chainsaw on the arm scene you have like the um cars involved in some way like oh yeah i remember that you have the a person losing their arm, having to cut off their own arm because it's infected. Like that has to get in there. And you get those callbacks and they work in this movie. Even if you don't have the knowledge of the original movies, they still work. They're still great elements. But I wish I knew more about what Fede Alvarez loved. And there was more of maybe his personality on the screen too. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm not familiar enough with his work where if I was more familiar, it would be obvious to me but i'm not sure that i'm wrong there i i don't know i mean i think it's obvious he loves evil dead because Mm -hmm. like you said you know the quick cut scene was used for the battery gag and the chainsaw was used somewhere Mm -hmm. different so i think what's so cool is that like it's all homage but it's also different it's Mm -hmm. not re he does not reshoot anything that exists from the first movies he just uses pieces which Mm -hmm. i think shows like not just a fandom but like a reverence Mm -hmm. um i think i mean i can't speak i don't know the guy i never met him i think there's a lot of j-horror inspirations Mm. like i don't know if that's intentional or not but there are you know especially specifically mia but then everyone there's always the hair over the face Mm -hmm. with like a split to one eyeball and kind of like looking up through it which made me think of japanese uh demons pretty often um I don't know like I think you have to imagine the guy likes classics and the way he uses the blood um it's silly which is great I think it's like the funniest part of the movie and yet it's still so scary because everything Mm -hmm. else is scary I don't know I think yeah I think I have a decent idea I don't know I would clearly, uh, yeah, I side with you, Lindsay, on this one, and you know, not that I'm taking sides, but but you <laughs> are, and I win. but you are very much, but you are taking sides. So. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. I'm taking sides. Oh, Lindsay's right. Uh, no, but I I think that he is again in love with Raimi's movies. I think he's in love with this franchise. I think he's in love with the characters he's playing with mm-hmm. and how he's going to do them in a different way because. As a remake director, you have accepted a task that is immediately mm-hmm. going to be criticized in ways that most movies will not be criticized. And as a remake director and as the remake director of an Evil Dead movie, which has fan bases that go so deep. I mean, the cons and the people who dress up like Ash and there was just Hail to the Deadites. You have that documentary that came out just about mm-hmm. fans of the Evil Dead franchise. So this is something that he knew he had to play this is a world he had to stay in this is something that he had to keep within he had to honor correctly as i've said before and i don't think that gave him enough deviation to do things that would be like more akin to his i believe his short that basically got him the gig and got him all the attention was more sci-fi elemental yep and this is straightforward straight laced gonna scare the crap out of you horror and where i think he puts all his energy is what Lindsay said, number one, it's callbacks to the first and second movies. He's doing all the bits you've seen in a way, again, that you have not seen them before and that do a little bit of subversion there where, oh, he's going to grab the chainsaw. No, he's not. Okay, he grabs the battery. We're going to do something different. But then we still get the chainsaw later because Fede Alvarez knows y'all want the chainsaw moment. Y'all want the, the Ash loses his hand moment. But he's not the guy in love with Three Stooges and he's not the one that's going to do slapstick. So he's like, I'm going to do this thing that you all love but it's coming from me. And mm-hmm. 
it's interesting that you say you don't know where he came from because I see where a lot of horror went after this. I mm-hmm. see where a lot of horror went post Evil Dead. And the simplest thing I can think of is I just watched, rewatched a movie for our podcast, uh, The Hive. And it came mm-hmm. out, I think, 2015. And it was uh, a disciple of James Gunn, the director of, uh, eventually of Brightburn. And it's his movie where he's doing his own Evil Dead riff. And he's doing his own Evil Dead riff in a very different way that blends camp and memento. And uh, it's it's not at all trying to be a Cabin in the Woods thriller. It's very much trying to be a hive mind, sci-fi, but still kind of squirmy and disgusting. So that's where like the Evil Dead comes in, where it is a woodland thriller in that sense. And I rewatched it again after watching Evil Dead so many times. And the makeup effects of this, the hive's deadite, it's not a deadite, but you know, it looks exactly like Mia, right down to the eyes, right down mm. to the facial makeup, right down to everything. It looks like Mia so incredibly much that like I had to sit down and go, did they compare notes? And that is just, you know, 2015 is not that far away. And again, I don't know if they did that intentionally, but the makeup is right there. It is so on the nose where Fede creates something that is so scary and so iconic and memorable just in Mia's uh, Deadite form that it kind of sets the tone for, again, how scary this can be. And you want to go to the basement scare. The basement scare alone is some James Wan shit where it is so much shadow play and so much working with the darkness and how something comes at you. And it is petrifying. J-Horror as well. I think J-Horror in a big way. You have the water down there. It's very much a water-based scare. And that's a lot of thing that J-Horror does. And once again, scraggly hair over the eyes comes at you. So I do think the J-horror is there, but I also think that Evil Dead kind of started a lot of post-Evil Dead horror that Mm -hmm. tried to live up to that level of terrifying, frightening ability. And it kind of didn't because there is no living up to this. Right. No. What it feels like after this movie and the years that follow it, like horror movies aren't afraid to go extreme again. And there there was definitely a period where it was like, we're going to tone things down and we're going to shoot for a P- PG-13 rating because we want as many people possible to, to, as possible to see this movie. But the problem was like the people that it would attract would be turned off by that. And not that PG horror can't be great. There are a ton of P- great and amazing PG-13 horror movies. And you can get away with a lot in those movies that you actually wouldn't expect. But maybe like going that extra mile that would make the movie, the extra step that would make your movie memorable wasn't done. And now I think it's much more common and we're kind of going back to that more visceral and more extreme horror overall. And Matt, you had brought up the Nightmare on Elm Street remake and a lot of the misfires that did. I will say like the one thing to this movie's credit, when I watch the Elm Street remake and they have callbacks like, the bathtub scene or Freddie coming through the um, wall coming out with the CGI as opposed to the spandex they use in the original. Um, Tina in the classroom. Every time they gave me one of those direct callbacks, it just reminded me that I could go to my shelf and put on Wes Craven's movie and watch it done in a much better way. When there were callbacks in this movie or nods to the original in this one, I never felt like, you know, I want to not watch this one right now. I want to put on one of the other ones instead. I'm like, oh, that's a really cool homage or ode. Let's keep moving forward at that point. And I think that's much to the movie's credit. 
Totally. Like I'm such a like Easter egg fan. I'm the person who like watches super eight and cheers at every little thing that happens, you know? So like, I think to this movie's credit in the biggest way, like we've already said, it does so much to pay homage. There are so many Easter eggs. There are so many nods and they all don't make you wish you were watching Evil Dead. They make you want to be like, you know, they make you want to be the Leo meme where you're like mm-hmm. pointing at the screen and snapping. Yeah. Like you're just like, oh my God. And like right out the gate, like we get that opening scene and then we cut to Mia sitting on the Delta. Like Ash's car is still there, presumably, unless one of them drove it there. But I think it's it's canon that he left it there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, sort of because ash versus evil dead eventually happens but it doesn't matter we're not gonna worry about it um and then like what else yeah the necronomicon looks different Fleshy, which is kind of cool more like leather facey mm-hmm. yeah it doesn't have a face on it anymore which i think kind of works because the face is kind of cartoony so i think it yeah. would have looked a little cartoony in the in this movie and it's like wrapped in like a garbage bag with barbed wire which i think is really cool but then he like yeah i love that um it looks the same on the inside but somehow scarier which is again another nod that it's like this is the same but scarier uh he reads the incantation out loud which has a lot of the same language if not all of the same language um eric reads it out loud suddenly we get deadites and then we cut to the woods and mia meets a tree and we get a rehashing of the worst Mm -hmm. scene for the third (laughs) time for the third time again uh, where she is, I don't know the right language for this. Let's just say she's assaulted by a tree. Yeah. I don't know how she's you want to. Technically, kind of impregnated in a way. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's impregnated. Yeah, which I guess is kind of what happens also in the original. It sucks, yeah. but they did yeah. it. They did it again. They pretended to regret it the first time, but then they did it yeah. again. You know, a few years later. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, we get. I don't know. I mean, what are some of your favorite nods? Which ones do you love? Let's oh. talk about all of them. I feel like that was only the first, like, ten, that's like the opening and I already yep. clocked like 10. <laughs> I mean, the nod for me is forever. I tweeted earlier that, you know, when I watched Evil Dead 2, mm-hmm. Bruce Campbell's performance in the kitchen when he's bashing himself with plates and throwing himself mm-hmm. on the ground and fighting his hand is one of the pinnacles of physical comedy. It's yeah. just tremendous what he does. There is no cre- recreating that. Again, I go back to Fede Alvarez not having any intention of doing comedy here. He is going to scare the bejesus out of you. So you have your hand removal. You have exactly what you want in that homage, but it's going to be different here. And it is different in a way that is stomach churning, disgusting. It is one of the most graphic practical effects I have seen in a movie mm-hmm. again since Evil Dead came out. And what you get is the girlfriend character at the time to uh, Charlotte Fernandez's character, David, the brother. She has been first French kissed by a split tongued Mia, which is just, again, a scene in its own right that is phenomenally done. Jane Levy is, as Mia in demon form is up there with why didn't this person get a, an award? Uh, mm-hmm. I know Tony Collette's the easy one there for mm-hmm. horror, but I always go to Elijah Wood too in Maniac and say mm-hmm. the performances they gave in horror, it's just, just surpasses anything. And I hold Jane Levy here and what she does in all these moments is fantastic. Again, her own take on the deadite, but getting past that, we get the girlfriend go back upstairs. She has now been, I guess we'll say poisoned. She is, she has drank the Kool-Aid in, in a way. Yeah. And her hand is now turning in the same way that Ash's hand turned. So how is that going to come off? Well, 
you have a great little foreshadowing shot earlier where a pot roast or some kind of mm-hmm. cooked meat is being sliced with an electric knife. Oh, which so she is... grabs, oh my God, grabs an electric knife and like not even on the joint. Like she kind of goes bicep almost. Bicep, like, yeah. Yeah, she yeah. goes bicep too high. And just the noise of the blade, serrated blade, just going back and forth, sawing oh. through her arm. And then it doesn't even go all the way through. It gets most of the way through and then just hangs and dangles. There's a wet flop when it eventually yes. comes yes. off. That is so... It's the chef's kiss to that moment. Just as like, it is, it's the callback you want. It's the callback that has to happen, but it is done so differently. And it's, I think there are other callbacks that raise questions like how Mia looks at a necklace that very much looks like Linda's necklace. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. how did that get there? What's going on there? Not really addressed. I'm way more into the callbacks that are, uh, by the way, we're going to give you the hand rip, but uh, yeah, she's just going to tear her hand off. That's just how we're going to do this one. It's like, fuck yeah. It's like, that's awesome. how we do that. Yeah. There's like, the... there. Sorry. No, you first, Lindsay. I say there is no Ash in this movie. Right. Um, and Mia kind of fills a lot of roles. Like, she's the Linda mm-hmm. and she's the Ash. Like, Mia yeah. is who is trapped in the basement and who is screaming and who has the tree scare. And she's also the final girl i guess yeah um she's the protagonist and antagonist of this yeah like she's she fills a lot of roles and you almost think that maybe her brother is gonna get some kind of ash role um and i like that he doesn't Mm because like he's more interesting than your average like vanilla horror character Mm -hmm. but um he's still just like her brother who's nice and so i do love that he doesn't get his ash moment Mm -hmm. i love that it goes to her but like yeah the arm scene happens twice we get that one and then we also get mia losing her arm or her hand i guess yeah, and basically ripping it just pulling it ripping apart it. like you would pull apart like putty you know, yeah it's really like that kind of like pulling apart but I, I have this thing called theraputty where it stretches and stretches <laughs> and eventually comes apart and that's what it's like it's and she in her react is like oh fuck this just like yeah, so, so matter of fact oh. at that point oh it's so gross and then of all the grossness in this gross movie i'm sure we're all gonna have different things that mm-hmm. gross us out the most but of all of it when she takes her like stump and jams it into mm-hmm. the chainsaw at the end mm-hmm. i hear that thump sound in my yep. nightmares like it's just like is she like jams it oh because like ashes is graceful like mm-hmm. when he puts his hand in the chainsaw there's no blood really like right. and you never see it like you see a lot of blood but you never see anything it's like wrapped up and taped on and he has a like circle that he fits his arm into mm-hmm. perfectly she doesn't she just like jams her jams it in the handle oh my god it's so and i'm just thinking watch. of like the exposed rod nerves that are tingling getting oh hit you know um, oh my god oh you had mentioned how there's no ash, and I think perhaps the smartest decision the movie made was to not recast an Ash character. Um, I think we saw, you know, with with the Texas Chainsaw movies and with Friday the 13th, you can get a very good and talented performer to go under the mask. Like I I wish we had three at least three more Derek Mears as Jason. Voorhees movies. I love his performance as, as Jason Voorhees. We saw with Elm Street a very talented performer in Jackie Earl Haley, an incredible actor. Um, 
just not be able to step up into that role because Robert Englund had it just become so synonymous with it. It would have been an impo- I mean, I would have said maybe at some point in the like the late '90s, early 2000s, like Nicholas Brandon, who played Xander in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the show, might have been a good choice for an Ash type of character if you ever did a reboot in the early 2000s. Because uh, I think he brought a lot of that same energy that Bruce Campbell does in, into um, Xander. Um, but letting this be its own thing in a different movie and not focused on an Ash character gives this movie, I think, a lot more leeway and goodwill that it may not have had otherwise. I think you would have had a lot of critique of like, well, Bruce would have done it like this. And that would have been much to the movie's detriment. Hey, listeners, Mike here. I just want to cut into the show with what I promise will be a brief pitch for our Patreon account. And I got musical cues and everything to not run past. If you love what we do and what we bring each week in terms of analysis, humor, criticism, insight, charm, good looks, really the complete package, we hope you consider supporting us by becoming a Patreon of our pod. Your contributions allow us to build what we've done for nearly 100 episodes now by paying for our server's hosts, by purchasing better recording and editing equipment, and by giving us the funds we need to buy the movies, the books, the documentaries, and other research materials we use to bring each episode to life. Our weekly show is always going to be free, and we know that times are tight for everyone right now. We also know there's a number of phenomenal podcasts deserving of your support. That's why, as well as our gratitude, we offer bonus content to all levels of patrons, starting at just two bucks. Every month, we deliver a complete bonus episode on a movie we might not otherwise cover, and all of our patrons get access to our exclusive Slack channel where we talk horror, music, any other types of movies. Really, it's a cool little community with our patrons right now that are all just awesome people. With 2021 right around the corner, I got some more ideas up my sleeve on how to give everybody some more content and some more swag. So please help keep the show strong by heading to patreon.com slash pod and the pendulum and become a supporter today. And now back to the show. Yeah, and there's no living up to, again, the physical no. comedy element. Like, you don't no. need a Bruce Campbell in this movie. That's the thing. You don't need mm-hmm. Bruce Campbell in this Evil Dead because that's not the world where he's going to succeed. Mm-hmm. He's going to be asked to do straight-laced horror. He's going to be asked to do something that we don't know him as. We we know Bruce Campbell as the smart-ass, wise-cracking kind of portrait of machismo that is still somehow... Mm-hmm enduring and you know it works yeah. so that is the that is the bruce that we know and love that bruce does not belong in this world that bruce does not belong here so yeah you were never going to get that you're never going to get anyone to step up into that role uh if it was a more comedy focused evil dead that we were going with then we were getting back to that world i think there are some choices out there i think there are ways where i'm just thinking off the top of my head and i look to a lot of the cast if everybody wants them. I don't know why they're a lot younger. They're, they could fit that role. And I think something like a Ryan Guzman could somehow make mm-hmm. it work. Tyler Hecklin, possibly. I, I think there are possibilities there, mm-hmm. but 
that's not what we need anymore. We need yeah. something different. And Mia was that different. And, you know, if we're talking about callbacks, I, I will do my Friday the 13th thing now. I will get it done with sure. very quickly, get it out of the way. But take your, take your time. Let it when I go back to Friday the 13th and when I talked about that and wrote about it for Revenge of the Remakes, my big takeaway was not a lot of people remember the beginning of the Friday the 13th franchise like they think they do because everyone remembers Jason as the man behind the mask, as the hockey goalie, all these things. That is how we remember Jason. And we equate his films to just being these slasher films where there is the one single villain and he's going to hack through counselors and that's what happens. That's kind of what happens in the first three movies, but we forget that it's not until movie number three that we actually get Jason wearing a mask and killing somebody. You know, it's Shelly isn't even, there was a, a final trivia question the other night where we do our final trivia hosted by Ted Gagan. And a lot of people got it wrong. The fact that they don't even remember that Shelly, Shelly isn't even the one who dies first in the mask. Like mm. Shelly gives the mask. We don't get the first kill for Jason in a mask until even after that. So it takes so long to like, remember how this franchise started. And I think Evil Dead doesn't, it's not a suffering. It's not a thing that like is a negative by any means, but People misremember Ash as Evil Dead 2 Ash. Yes. And they think that it's Evil Dead Ash. So 100%. what I wrote about what I wrote about for Friday the 13th is the fact that the remake in 2009 takes the best parts of the first three films and it creates a better Friday the 13th beginning because mm -hmm. it knows. All right, everyone remembers this. Everyone knows this. We're going to do the Pamela thing in the intro. So we're going to get that out of the way. We're going to go right into part two really quickly. So you're basically getting the best highlights of one, two, and three all squished into a single film, which plays so much better to me because it has the right pacing and tempo and it gets right to what people want. I feel like that's what this Evil Dead remake does because all the callbacks that we've just talked about, they are an amalgamation of Evil Dead one and two smushed together. And whether that be, well, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it this way, too. It's a lot of Evil Dead, too, because everyone remembers mm -hmm. Evil Dead, too. They don't want to say it out loud, but Evil Dead is the precursor to Evil Dead 2, which everyone loves a lot more. And mm -hmm. that's the ash everyone remembers. That's what people remember yeah. when they think about Evil Dead. So to me, this is the right way to take both of those films, take the seriousness of the first one and take some callbacks to that, too. But then take all the best moments in Evil Dead 2, throw them together and now you have the origin story that I've always wanted from Evil Dead. I love my horror comedies. It's one of my favorite subgenres, but give me this scary as hell Evil Dead any day of the week because I, I want to be scared like this again. Like I want to be terrified like this again and that they can exist together in the same world and I can watch both in the same day like I did today and be like, man, this franchise, like it can do no wrong. It yeah. can do both sides of the coin. That's my piece. Yeah. So that yeah. is my piece saying Evil Dead remake does Evil Dead 1 and 2 even fucking better than they do. I mean, I think they're two different things. Yeah, they are. They do. They are two different things. But <laughs> I, I just wanted say, to say that because I wanted to. Because you're, you know, you're here for the spicy, hot, fiery takes. I, yeah, I don't know that one's necessarily better than the other. I think that a character like Ash is so memorable. Like one thing about Ash, and we talked about this, I think with the Evil Dead episode, was that when we talk about, you know, anytime there's some sort of horror icon line of shirts, toys, anything, you know, even comics, even stories, you've got Freddy, you've got Jason, you have Chucky, you have Ghostface, and then you have Ash. Mm -hmm. And Ash is the good guy. Um, so I think that's like, what's so cool about him as a character. Like I have similar different feelings about Ghostface, but I'll save that for 2022. But um, 
Yeah, Ash is the good guy who's the hero of the franchise. So when you're making a remake, you can't have Ash because you can't bring that back. You can't do it. You know, saying Alvarez is a better filmmaker than me because I would have been tempted to have like an Ash that I killed right away. But um, I think he does way better to just like not have one. But you bring back the Deadites, but like, what are the Deadites? You know what I mean? Like, what are they? What's consistent about them? We don't even know. The movies don't even really know what's right. consistent about Deadites. Um, so you're you're creating something brand new. And like, I think, yeah, it's it's very bold and brave to be able to take that on. And I think that's why, like, I keep saying it, like, that's why the nods and the homages are so, so successful. These are so necessary to remind you that it's an Evil Dead movie, but like still so, so completely different and matt to your point about wanting to be scared again this is i think maybe a year removed from cabin in the woods getting a wide release and that's a movie that it sat on the shelf for i want to say like three years um and then finally got picked up and got its release and i forget why it sat on the shelf if there were rights issues or whatnot but whatever um and that was a terrific deconstruction of horror movies and a deconstruction specifically of the type of movie that Evil Dead kind of like kickstarted and like almost created its own subgenre within horror itself, like a group of kids in a cabin. You saw dozens of those over the ensuing decades to the point where that movie is so clever and funny and hits all the right notes in terms of like deconstructing the tropes that you're like, I don't know if you can ever make another Cabin in the Woods movie that's going to be scary, that's going to hit those notes because you're going to just be reminded of these other things and you're going to be reminded of how ridiculous this can be. And yet a year later, you have this one that comes out and goes, oh no, we can actually do something that is like fresh and exciting that can like play with in that kind of sandbox that's been created before and isn't necessarily going to do anything that's particularly new but it's going to take the things that are familiar and just do them in a way that is like better and more exciting. That's been done in a really long time. Yeah. And I will listen, I will, before I get chased through the streets of torches, Mm -hmm. I'll walk back my statement from previous, just a tad, maybe it was a Mm -hmm. little too spicy, but I said what I said about thinking that evil dead is the better of the evil dead origins in that Mm -hmm. way. I say that, with Evil Dead 2 being, again, one of my favorite horror comedies, this is not me saying like one is bad and the other is good. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just more the sense that I am actually just more drawn in this universe, which again is bonkers to me, Mm -hmm. who is in love with like Bride of Chucky and Return of the Living Dead. Like those are my vibes. That's what I love. So I adore Evil Dead 2. Mm -hmm. I adore, I think Evil Dead 1 has great potential. I think Mm -hmm. it's just more for me, everything that Evil Dead, the remake gives me in comparison is just a little bit more of what I'm looking for because as much as I love the scary, pseudo scary horror comedies, let's say that because let's be honest, Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 aren't very scary. They have great practical effects work and a few little jumps that get you, but Evil Dead, the remake effing is scary. It is just, it is just as scary as it can be. And like, that's what I'm drawn to. So it's not one is good. One is bad. I I will tell the people that I love all of the evil dead franchise. It's just, it's what I'm drawn to. And that's what I want in my horror movies. Yeah. I I would say like evil dead in 1981 would have been scary because we didn't see things like it at that time. What you saw were a lot of imitators after it to the point where when you saw Raimi's movie, you're like, Oh, that's where that all come from but you've seen other things before it um but yeah i i get what i can understand where you're going with there because this is just it's still there's an 
element of a bygone era with the original Evil Dead movie where movies just aren't made like that or have that kind of tone or feel anymore where this feels much fresher in that way. Um, what's interesting about this franchise is there are four movies that are all markedly different. Most franchises is basically just give the fans what they want and remake the same movie over and over again until they stop going to see the series and then we'll wind it down. You saw that with Friday the 13th. You saw that with A Nightmare on Elm Street. You saw that with Saw. You saw that with Paranormal Activity where it, it, it rides this crest and then it just crashes and burns because they're like, we've seen this a bunch of times. With the Evil Dead series, all four movies fit in terms of like a series. Like they don't feel so disparate that you don't recognize elements of them, but they are all completely unique and do something different. And I think that's one of the things I really love about this series. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, all four are super different. All four are borrowing from each other and doing things differently. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's weird because like one and two are so similar, but also so completely different. Yeah. Um, and then even like two and three, you're leaning into the same kind of comedy, mm -hmm. but like one is in medieval times. So it's obviously yeah. really different. Like one's a period piece. Like yeah. I, you just immediately yeah. throw a period piece into this yep. crazy Cabin in the Woods franchise. You're like, how did we get here? Like, mm -hmm. how did we get here? It's bizarre, but they yeah. did it and it works. Thank um, you, Dino. Yeah. So. And then now we're back in an identical cabin, which mm -hmm. again, I love that choice that the cabin is identical. Mm -hmm. Love. Yeah. that choice even like i mean not that i'm not you know at a glance not that i could really tell but it looks like every piece of cracked wood was in the same spot when they go into the bedroom you're like that is the same mm -hmm. bedroom like it is exactly the same which is yeah. beautiful just yeah. beautiful and, I and think then it, yeah oh sorry no i yeah finish your thought on that and then i'm gonna go somewhere else I was just going to say in homages again, just really quickly, one of my favorite homages that I didn't talk about, just the blood. It's maybe doesn't look exactly the same, but mm -hmm. the idea that Fede was like, no, we're, we're not going to shy away from the blood. We're going to do what Raimi did here. We're going to give the fans that much. And we can mm -hmm. talk about gallons and practical later when we get into the effects, but that dedication to, I think about when there's a character that's ripped under the, into the basement in Evil Dead 2, and it is like someone is just under that basement hatch with a like a fire hose, and they are just spraying red water out, and it is so over mm -hmm. the top. And even in Fade's more serious, stern horror film, we'll say, he's still like, no, we're going to do that too. Like, we're just going to put a hose in mm -hmm. Mia's mouth and let her vomit. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. So that there is so much blood. I love the blood. Again. Yeah, like I need like a segment where it's like now Lindsay talks about the blood. You know, that's my favorite part of every movie. It's mm -hmm. all I hear about is so much blood. And yeah, there is so much blood in this movie. And it goes Evil Dead because again, this is the more serious, straight, scary movie where the gore is more real. And then you literally have watery, bright red blood like the rest of the Evil Dead franchise to the point that when Mia's outside and you think you've got enough blood, you think you've seen enough of it. And then Mia's outside and it just starts raining blood and she is covered in blood. And then she does that final kill and there is blood shooting in mm -hmm. every direction. And it's, but what's amazing though, is that it's not funny. Like Bye. to me, that blood is so funny. Every time in the Evil Dead franchise, it happens, I laugh. 
it's not funny in this movie. Yeah. You're like, oh my God, that's a lot of blood. <laughs> and Evil Dead 2 with that red blood sprays, it's like someone murdered the Kool-Aid man. Yeah. I mean, it looks like Kool-Aid. It's like, oh no, like someone killed that dude. And here yeah. it is just like, <laughs> just like when Mia is spraying the blood in Olivia's face, there are just chunks of flesh that are coming out of it as well. And she would have bled out four times over by the time that series, you almost expect her to look like a raisin by the time, cause she's just, so every liquid in her body is out. When um, Natalie cuts off her arm, it's the same thing. Like yeah. it is an insanely disgusting amount of spray that is going on and it works. So um, much blood. How much was used in this movie? Like you, I think one of you had a note about how much was. So, yeah, it's like, you know, unconfirmed. But so they said that according to reports, they use 70,000 gallons of fake blood, which is so much fake blood. Um, but then Alvarez in an interview said they used 50,000 gallons for the final scene. Oh, man. So I don't know if you want to do the math there. Doesn't um, add up. And then by comparison, the original movies used 200 to 300 gallons. Mm -hmm. So two to 300 compared to 70,000 is absurd. But I guess we don't know how much was used in Evil Dead 2, which I think is bloodier. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm I'm thinking of Mm -hmm. Evil Dead 2. And there are so many, I think there's a few sequences where Ash is just standing there Mm -hmm. and the walls begin to bleed. And again, it is just like there was a fire hose behind that hole, just just unloading on him. The the propulsion of it alone is fantastic. (laughs) But that's like, there is like a layer and like there's like puddles and there's so much used where there's a lot. And I hear that number 200 to 300, but I'm also like, Again, the, the the rain alone has to match that, it, it just scene by scene. So and there's so much. much more blood used. I'm like, how, I don't know. I, it's gotta be comparable. It, it has to be a lot closer. I don't know. Yeah, the second mm. one has to be a lot closer. That's a, that's, yeah, that's a thing I'm gonna check. It's, so they also said, cause this movie's messy as hell. Like we've talked about all the blood, mm-hmm. all the gore. They're filthy and muddy all the time. It's funny cause it actually reminded me of, um, we were talking about uh, for our Patreon, we did, uh, drag me to hell yeah. and we were talking about what a horrible time oh, excuse me i'm drawing a blank on her name the lead actress had Lomer. yes yeah. uh what a horrible time she had doing the cemetery scene because she's like wet and muddy for like days and yeah. days then my head like mia's wet and muddy this entire movie <laughs> like that sucks um i was like the graveyard scene is mia's entire movie maybe this was shot much more quickly but um seems awful Let's but they talk actually, about 70, Lovett, yeah. 70 days. Uh, this remake was shot in 70 days. It was okay. a very long shoot. And so she was wet buddy for oh, 70 days. If I days. remember yeah. correctly from friends that went on the set visit, I had a few that went on the set visit. Um, they said everyone had a pretty challenging time on this shoot yeah. because of what you just said. There's mm-hmm. so much. And it, it was not warm. I don't think at the time they filmed. Yeah. I don't want to throw these out there without mis- when I'm misremembering just facts mm-hmm. my friends told me. But still, yeah. it was uh, it was not as much fun as it looks on screen. It looked like hell the whole yeah. time I was watching her. I kept thinking like, oh my god, I hope she got yeah. to take a hot shower at the end of every day. 
And then in the scene where she's taking a shower and her like skin singes, I was Mm. like, oh my God, she probably didn't want to take a hot shower every day. And I was like, as a viewer in the best way, mind you, it was so unsatisfying because whenever I see a character like me, this is just me. (laughs) Whenever I see a character get like muddy and wet, I'm just like, I can't, I'm like longing for the scene Mm. where they like come out of the shower and they're like big towel-y robe. And you're like, that feels better, you know? And she doesn't get that at all. She like has a moment and it's like much worse and she like stays wet and also her skin's on fire. Um, Second degree burns all over her body at that point. I was like, this is a scare for Lindsay because I'm just like, I hope she gets to be comfortable and she doesn't. She doesn't get to be comfortable at all. Um, But because it's so filthy and disgusting, they shot most of it in order so that they wouldn't have to clean it up, which I think is brilliant and also like, yeah, makes perfect sense because uh, it's disgusting. I think about... um, when I was chatting with uh, Brandon Cronenberg for Possessor, um, of course I asked about the blood because the blood in that movie is great. And he was talking about this like super top secret blood recipe that what's amazing about it is that it's easy to clean up so they can reset the shot a bunch. And I was like, yeah, cleaning up blood must be the worst. Yeah. <laughs> like, like they're just like, oh, we have to do this again. And like the, whoever it was, oh, the name I have it. It's mm-hmm. in my, uh, it's in my interview, look that up. Um, <laughs> whoever created this blood, that can be quickly wiped up so that you can reset the shot like genius because yeah. <laughs> evil dead needs you there are <laughs> moments like watching the um behind the scenes stuff on the blu-ray which i always like tend to watch because i just find that can be pretty fascinating like they like bruce campbell talks about emailing the performers like once they were hired like i want to let you know like you will never shoot another movie like this one like it is going to be hard. It's going to be grueling. You're going to be exhausted. You're going to question why you got into acting. And he's like, he's like, I don't want to hear it. He's like, you know, like you just so you know, like you better know what you're getting into. And again, that's Bruce Campbell, the producer, who's very smart and he knows what he's doing. It's not, you know, it's when he's taking off like the kind of jokey persona that he plays. And he's like, this is a job and you are expected to do this if you can't do it let us know now because like you're going to be wasting our time and our money if you can't. So he was very upfront about the challenges and they show to your point about whether it was cold or not, like they're often wearing winter coats during the in-between takes, like, and you can see their breath coming. And there are just these moments where you have like a PA on their hands and knees, just like sopping up these giant puddles of blood in these industrial side sponges in between takes like while they're resetting up like it's not how that's it is. amazing so, yeah and that is just a testament to listen again not all the filmmaking is glamorous as you've just said on that little note where an email went out to the yeah. actors going uh don't complain if you're this in this gig so like, just, yeah just so. didn't know what's coming but it's a testament to the fact that fade knew again what horror fans wanted knew what mm-hmm. evil dead fans wanted and was like we're doing practical. And that was the quote that he put out yeah. very early on. He said, there's no CGI. Again, we're pretty sure that means there's no effects created with CGI. Mm-hmm. There might've been some touch-ups on the back end. but what's really cool is the fact that, you know, this is the quote from Fade. We didn't do any CGI in the movie. There's no CGI in the movie at all. Everything you will see is real, which is really demanding. Very long mm-hmm. shoot, 70 days. Uh, and he says, he's like, there's a reason people use CG. It's cheaper and faster, but I hate that. We, re- we researched a lot of magic tricks and illusion tricks. Like, how mm-hmm. would you make someone's arm disappear? So that is so cool to hear 
that instead of going for the CG route, instead of doing what a lot of mainstream horror movies at the time and since then have done, because mm-hmm. listen, CGI is cheaper and faster, it's, no doubt, but no. it also takes away from everything that horror fans love. Yeah. And my thing, Lindsay, your thing is blood. My thing is practical effects. You give me practical effects, so you immediately have me in your good graces. Uh, if you waste my time with crappy CGI and don't even pay attention to practical at all, whatever. To me, there is a world where practical and CG blend. That's fine. You've done the practical and you make it look mm-hmm. a little better with CG. But we're talking Evil Dead and we're talking an Evil Dead movie that rains blood. And we're talking an Evil Dead movie that saws arms off. And Fade's approach was not, well, we can get halfway there with practical, but CGI it later and back. Mm-hmm. And his approach was, let's research what magicians do and then figure out how to make the practical work even better. Because you are thinking about the tongue scene. You're thinking about all these things you're watching on your screen and you can clearly tell that's a tongue. I'm pretty sure there's something about an actor hire just to do the tongue and that's, it was split like that. So like yeah. they just, that's a person, that's cool. But the other things of how they would make the vines work in the way that they come from the demon's mouth. So like, I'm just specifically thinking, you see where evil Mia is approaching the vine grabbed Mia, but the very icky, slurpy, squelchy, Uh, vine comes out of her mouth to then go over and do whatever happens there Mm -hmm. that we're seeing in full and that's the one time where i'm like all right you say you haven't used cgi i believe you how the hell did you make that happen because that thing comes right out of her mouth and i i i'm assuming there was no alien inside of an actor's stomach that eventually burst out the mouth it's called committing to the bit and i'll look it up sorry that's (laughs) That is some character acting 101 Joaquin (laughs) Phoenix bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. I forget what I was watching, but it was recently with my daughter who's 11. And we were watching an older horror movie. And she was like, how come this movie is older, but the stuff looks better than it does in new movies? And we talked about like, hey, it's because like, even though this thing might not look great, like it might not look like a real hand getting cut off. Like it's still something that someone there has to like touch there's like a touch and a feel and a smell and something tactical to it and like your brain makes that connection it's not just a bunch of zeros and ones on a screen where you can do whatever you want but there's always going to be that element where it comes off a bit like a video game overall um and that's why i think like practical especially with horror to me is just it's just the way to go you sense Um, it it looks awesome i mean a no better marriage mm-hmm. uh the trailer for the new suicide squad movie mm-hmm. you know we've been told it was going to be a blend of practical and cgi and no more is it evident in this shark king shark uh, king shark ripping a guy apart moment when king shark is quite obviously a cgi character mm-hmm. and he rips his body apart which is quite obviously not a real body but you see these like tendons snap back Mm-hmm. in a way that you're like that's a tent that's that's something that he's holding that's yeah. not a cartoon and mm-hmm. like you sense it you feel those things and it's really important but yeah. i don't know um we've danced around our favorite effects of the movie mm-hmm. was that where you were going Lindsay? i'm sorry i think no I cut please right continue Let's, no um, go ahead what are some of the because there are a lot in this there are a lot of things that just are Fringy, and most of them happen to either Mia or Eric. And Eric gets everything he deserves, and then some in this movie. So, you know, respect for Eric a little bit. He does save the day essentially. I know he's a piece of crap and he complains the whole time, but again, Mm -hmm. he's 
put in the scenario where he is being a good friend. He is now mm-hmm. forced to interact with an old friend who's been a, mm-hmm. been a piece of garbage to him. And sure, he reads the book. He does yeah. the dumb horror the character. The book says, do not stereotype. read the book. Do not read. You've read everything you should not read. And he reads it all aloud. He still comes back yeah. and pulls through. He still does um, it. And then he that's true. Killed. He fesses up to what he did and tries to fix it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, kind of looks like the QAnon shaman dude in this movie. Oh no! Too. You know, he really does look a bit like him. And look, I love Lou Taylor Pucci in Spring. It's one of my favorite performances in a movie ever. Um, but my God, like he's just face for punching in this movie. It's just <laughs> face for punching. I think if I'm talking about my favorite effect, um, the girl who plays, I think it's Olivia. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say the girl who plays Olivia, Olivia the character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I mentioned this scene, I guess obviously I notice all glasses based horror being a glasses horror myself. Um, but her scene, which again, I already mentioned is the part that scares me. Um, we don't really know what she's doing. Like the deadites that we've seen previously in other movies, they definitely make the person like rot and do gross things, but mostly mm-hmm. they're hurt by Ash they don't really hurt themselves but when olivia gets her dose of um deadite she starts to do so to herself and we get that moment of her in and again it also feels kind of j-horror to me although mm-hmm. it's a similar scare to the like hereditary um i'm doing the action but mm-hmm. i can't say it out loud the flossing of the neck yes. let's say yeah flossing of the neck works yeah <laughs> and it's a similar uh scare to um anything for jackson where the character's picking up their teeth mm-hmm. um just that like really disgusting chattering sound where a person that you recognize is kind of hunched over and you can't see what they're doing so olivia's in the shower oh my god i'm like i can't even say it um and she, or i don't even know yeah she's in the second shower i think and she's kind of curled over and eric's like what are you doing what are you doing like olivia what's up and she and it's like the lights are flickering so you can't really get a good look at her and she turns around and her face is just mutilated yeah. like she has just hacked apart her own face and that effect is disgusting oh my god like you're just like oh no No. um yeah it sucks in like the best way i think that would probably be my favorite that whole moment too the way it plays out reminds me of the first resident evil video game where you come upon a zombie for the first time and it's eating someone and it slowly turns its head and it's like this grotesque mouth it's like a one of the greatest moments in video and horror video games like it's very much almost to the point you wonder if it's an homage to it because it just looks ripped right from it in the best possible way oh it's scary i don't know does anyone have anything although again like obviously i love the blood and i talked about that but what are your favorite practical effects do you think i will i've already talked about the electric carving knife that Mm. will Mm. always be one of my favorite ones just because of how terrible it makes me feel inside I will use also, man, the practical effect of Mia just eviscerating demon Mia at the end in the blood rain, how that all plays together. And that's not just because I love red colored scenes. Like that is the reds for me. It's just perfect. But the way that you have the aggression on on Mia's face, the way that Jane Levy just sells how Mm -hmm. she is done with this crap. She is over it. That's the whole the whole 
comment of I'm going to rip my hand off and just charge into battle. That's what we're doing here. And the battle doesn't last long because she is literally facing her demons. We have now gotten to the point where the addict is facing her demons and they've killed her brother and everything here is just gone tits up. So guess what? We're just going to cut you in half real quick. And it's not because it takes a long time or anything. As I said, it's a quick little shot, but it's also a shot that is so powerful as she slams the chainsaw down and just cuts this thing right in half. And you get you get the hold on the on the body being torn in two. You get the hold on the chainsaw just spitting blood. It's just spitting blood everywhere. I, it's just such a perfect effect. And it's just, it's there. It's right in front of you. It's not fake. Everything is right happening there. And it's just so good. But you know, the Eric stuff again. The Eric stuff is really good too. Eric gets the crap kicked out of him in the worst way possible through every weapon. Every weapon that's shown, Eric gets destroyed by mm-hmm. it. The hand. Oh my God. Yes. Eric's hand splitting with the crowbar or whatever she hits him with. Oh mm-hmm. my God. Yeah. I would say for me, it's the nail gun scene. That is so... That's almost a, to the point of comedy because it's just like another thing. Um, but at the same time, it's so visceral and brutal. And you just see these nails like sticking out of his hand and his arm and in his chest. Um, and I just love the way that whole scene plays out like that. It's just, oh, and again, it's like Eric getting it after like having his eye almost stabbed out by a needle. Like one, that's another one that is like so disturbing. Him pulling that probably two inch packed up piece of needle like out from under his eyelid um yeah so i would but for me like it's not the most gory of effects in the movie but just that nail gun like must have been like a dozen or two dozen nails like shot into him is just really wonderfully done i have a recurring nightmare of being shot like that with a nail gun and i don't know if it stems from this movie now that we're talking about it but Mm -hmm. the nightmare isn't as much about someone shooting me with a nail gun and then going into my arm and hand. It's specifically about me pulling them out and the sensation of pulling something out of your skin like that. I, <laughs> I, it might've stemmed from this. It very well could have stemmed from this, honestly, because that was 2013 and mm-hmm. it it's, it's been not that far off since I had that. Oh, no, I'm going to have a nightmare. I'm going to have nightmares <laughs> again, just because we're talking about it, just so you both know. Um, we talked a lot about what the fans wanted out of this movie and what we wanted out of this movie as fans. And of course all the homage and whatever, but as fans and what we were like hoping for, what do you two think about what was cut from this movie? So famously um, there's a moment in the trailer that is not in the final cut or the theatrical cut. And there are more moments, actually a couple big moments in the trailer that are not in the final cut, the theatrical cut. And then a couple moments that are in the extended cut that are in the same realm. And I'm curious mm-hmm. if you have thoughts on those and if you know what they, I'm assuming you already know. Are we talking about the alternate ending that uh, wraps up a lot of questions we'll say? Sure. Yeah. The alternate ending, which I have not seen. I've only seen the theatrical. Okay. Um, and then I guess I'll talk about the trailer after you talk about the ending first. Okay, so I, I'm allowed to say what happens. We're we're okay. Yeah, oh, yeah, okay. we're spoiler. We always work under the assumption that like our either of our viewers haven't seen the movie, they're still gonna watch it because we're so passionate about. Yeah. Okay, so basically, we get the official tie-in that this is a Evil Dead universe movie, and we can call it a remake. We can call it whatever you want. 
but we get the unification of Mia and we get Mr. Ash mm-hmm. too. So we now have Ash in the movie. Ash actually is everything I said before about how Bruce Campbell and Ash doesn't Ash. belong in here. Guess what? Well, Ash is here too. And correct me if I'm wrong. I actually no, you said you didn't watch it yet, but basically it's an idea that Mia gets picked up. She's wandered into the road. She is bleeding profusely, obviously, because she does not have a hand anymore. And she's not doing great. So you have Ash pick her up. You have him say kind of groovy, I think, over, over the black screen. But I believe you also get a shot of Mia's eyes still being a deadite. Mm. So it leaves open the sense that Ash is now in the picture. But Mia is also not fully healed, we'll say. Right. So implications open, leaves a lot of things to do. And basically it reintroduces the fact that Ash has, still has to fight the evil dead, as we found out anyway in Ash vs. the Evil Dead. And Ash vs. Yep. the Evil Dead still happens. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I've never seen the extended cut, and I don't remember the trailer enough. And I don't think I would have, rem- I don't think I came out of the theater going like, well, that thing was in the trailer. Why wasn't it in the movie? Um, so I don't think it hit me the wrong way. I don't, I can't say that I'd like to watch the extended cut. Um, and I guess the only reason it exists is because Sony, shipped it to the uk accidentally uh when it was like for their like tv versions of the film like for their cable and their like right. and they're like oh yeah this is and i guess alvarez has said like it's not a director's cut like i really wanted to strip things to the bone because there's nothing in here to me that feels like i don't walk out of it going like man it's missing and i think the one thing that's in there is um david like actually chainsawing his girlfriend after mm. he's like blown her apart. Like he, they actually show him cutting her up with a chainsaw and you know, there's enough in here where I'm like, you know, this would have been perfect if it just, if it just had the corpse of a young woman getting chainsawed. Like, you know, <laughs> I mean, chef's kiss, listen. like I, you know, um, without it. the parts in the trailer, which I think are in the extended cut, but I don't know. So don't, mm-hmm. um, are the accident cut? the incidental Mm -hmm. cut um we get a lot more evil dead references including mia in the uh, cellar holding up the trap door giving her um i'll swallow your soul moment Mm -hmm. and you also hear in the trailer her saying um like you get the oh sorry you hear i'll swallow your soul in the trailer and then in the this scene she does the we're gonna get you Mm -hmm. uh little singy part which did Mm. not make the final cut the reason why i mentioned that and i think it's interesting to discuss is because we again we've talked so much about like what works and what doesn't and how to pay the right amount of homage and i Mm -hmm. wonder if the like we're gonna get you and i'll swallow your soul would be like too on the nose that you might be like, oh, I think this is like a little bit too on there. Because mm-hmm. even like we mentioned in the opening scene, I remember it as I'll swallow your soul, but I knew that it was not that. I knew mm-hmm. that it was decidedly different. Yeah. And I think, yeah, the reason why I bring it up is I wonder if it would have been like too much. What do you think, Matt? I don't know necessarily if that's too much. I, I yeah. To me, 
I, that's the one line that sticks out in my head from from the film. So mm-hmm. the fact that a line from the film is not actually in the film that still populates in my head, I, I think that just is a testament to, I, again, I said how much I love Levy's performance. I think Levy is fantastic as a dead mm-hmm. I think she brings just, man, there is a punishment that she lets that character feel. Yeah. And there is also just a punishment that character wants to inflict. Both of those in tandem, the way she plays that is phenomenal. I, I, I'm fine with those lines. If those lines are yeah. still included, I'm fine with them still being in there. And I'm fine with that being a more straight-laced homage, if we want to say, yeah. or a straight-laced callback, because it would only add to this film. For me, I think those lines are tied into the Deadites and the personality of the Deadites. Mm-hmm. So to me, it wouldn't feel so much like, oh, this is a really on-the-nose, like how cute that you're including it. And it would feel like natural to me that it would be in there. It wouldn't feel like something that was just jammed into the movie. Um, Like to me, it felt really jammed in in a nightmare in Elm street when Freddie pops through the wall. Like there's no real need to have that in this particular retelling of the movie. Um, This one, it just feels like it's more tied into the personality of your antagonist And I think because like we had talked before coming out of this movie, I felt it was more of a continuation of the original series rather than like a straightforward reboot of it. So it didn't feel like it felt like it would fit in. Um, Yeah. I wouldn't have a problem with that. Also, I was just, so I was Googling because sorry, I've been intently Googling because I want to make sure I was, I was saying the right thing. And actually what I described, I believe is a post-credit scene. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, actually exists. My bad. So that is not the alternate ending, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, no, the the quote alternate ending is a post credit scene. No, okay, it does not exist in the like. If you put like I watch it on Netflix. If you watch it on Netflix, that post credit scene is not there. Oh, okay, no. all right. There is a post credits sure. voiceover in mm-hmm. the theatrical, which is Groovy. pretty cool. Uh, yeah, yeah, they the show his face. I think they they do show his face. He's like a truck driver. Yeah. I gotta find it. So, sure ma- so maybe I'm maybe I'm mixing those two up, but I mm-hmm. I think there is the alternate where again Mia is the deadite. Um, also, mm-hmm. when I was googling, a we did find out that there was an alternate ending that didn't get filmed, where it was going to end with Mia dying, and the original mm-hmm. idea was to have Mia explode in a cloud of blood as she uh, as the film culminates, and producers yeah. kind of said we want to leave Mia alive. I think yeah, so. Yeah, that that was that, that is a more intriguing choice. That, that they was were a good choice. Made. Yeah. No, is the that... alternate I'm talking about is the post credit scene, and then okay. in this version we get a post credits voiceover, which is, mm-hmm. um, if I recall correctly, it's basically that voice reading the Necronomicon. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which I think is a great touch. Yeah. It's I very actually much the, really like, tapes from the OGs. Yeah. I find that's a really the way that's used there, just over the black and white credits, is a really under the skin, disturbing little touch. I actually really like that. Yeah, it's really um, spooky. You know, it's funny what you just said, Matt, about like Mia exploding and wanting to leave her alone. Um, I do want to talk briefly, and I know we're getting a bit long here, um, but that's what we do. Um, typical. That's typical us. Um, we can do this in an hour. Whoops. Um, yeah. That will be on my tombstone. We can do this in an hour. We can do this um, in an hour. So... You know, I think the approach of the addiction angle, it serves for a good inspiration for why Mia is at the cabin, why they want to forcibly keep her there. 
and why they don't necessarily buy into what she is telling to them, telling them is going on. Um, it's a movie that comes out of the height of the opioid crisis where you saw and still continue to see communities that are decimated by not having adequate access to reasonably priced drugs, where painkillers are prescribed in a way that's meant to get people addicted in order to keep the, the money flowing in. And then because people couldn't afford managed healthcare, you start seeing people turn to heroin in very large numbers in a way that still affects in Massachusetts, there are some communities that are decimated by uh, uh, heroin in particular because it's cheaper to produce, it's cheaper to buy, and people would turn to that to like dull their pain. Um, there's so much stigma around addiction. And it's, as someone who's had to treat persons who do suffer from different forms of addiction, like that's the one thing, like it is really hard to watch Mia go through a lot of what she does in this movie. And even at the end when she survives and you have that raw moment where she like jams the chainsaw in and then walks off into the sunset, I'm still a little bit saddened because like she survives, but at what cost? Like her complete support network has been decimated from her. Her mom has passed away. We have established that. And that is kind of hinted at that that's what kind of caused her to spiral a bit into usually with addiction addiction is a symptom of something else that is underlying whether it's anxiety very often depression um addiction is then turned to in an order to to dull the symptoms that are really causing a person a lot of distress and i just can't help but think that she has lost her best friends she's lost her brother what she's lost her hand um what is she going to be walking back into? And I think maybe we're meant to feel like, oh, she's overcoming it and it's smooth sailing from here on in and like, what a badass. And I feel sad. I feel like this is a person who's going to wake up the next morning and just be horrified at what she's seen and deeply, deeply traumatized by all of the loss that she's suffered. That the part you said about like the loss, I feel like we talked about that when we did French Extreme about how mm-hmm. you got, you know, what's behind that smile in Texas Chainsaw yeah. Massacre and what's yeah. happening to these, you know, these final girls, mm-hmm. what is next for them and what does it yeah. mean for them? But specifically, I was actually, I'm glad that you brought that up because I really did want your perspective because mm-hmm. um, I'm of two minds with how this movie approaches addiction because mm-hmm. I think as an allegory, it's used incredibly well. Like, we talked about how it's almost used as a cover for the fact that she's hearing things that Mm -hmm. she wants to leave that she's stressed that you know she's facing her demons literally and as an allegory i think it's so so great but then at the same time like it's incredibly Mm mean-spirited to an addict like the movie is mean this is one of the meanest horror movies and I don't, I'm like, again, I'm of two minds where I think it's like the perfect allegory used really well, but I also think it's like Mm -hmm. super, super mean. So I'm really glad that you brought that flavor to this conversation because I did want to know your thoughts. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it it makes it, for me, it made it harder at points to watch, you know, Mm -hmm. and again, I mean that in a good way, which is weird to say it made it harder, but we're watching a horror movie that is intended to make us already, Mm -hmm. it's intended to challenge us. So that's what the film is trying to do. And you know, I mean, that does give great context to it, Mike, and, you know, hearing it kind of explained that way. And we already know that 
this was done quote unquote to her benefit, but we do, as Lindsay, you said, it's mean to the sense where every single character is there just to be like, you can't leave. You're staying here. Uh, we're going to save you essentially. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think that works in a twisted way too, where all these people who are saying they're doing the right thing and saying that they have Mia's best intentions mm-hmm. at heart are the ones that die brutally. And yeah. it's almost like, did you make this happen? all of a sudden that flips around again and it becomes, yeah, they were mean spirited to her, but maybe that's also part of the message where you have to take this thing seriously. You have to do what is right for the person, but also this person did not feel safe in that environment, did not feel safe around. And your entire reaction was too bad. You're staying here. You didn't earn the right to make this decision anymore. You have to do what we said. It becomes very complicated there. Her agency is removed from her by her friends and there almost feels like a bit of what Eric and uh, is it Robin? I'm sorry. Now I'm blanking on the name. Olivia. What, Olivia. Yes. Yeah. So what Eric and Olivia are putting her through is almost a bit of punishment because it's what they say is like, you weren't here today, but they say you weren't here a year ago. She OD'd. She died for a while. She put us through hell. And because that she did that to us. And again, like when you're addicted, you're not, you're not trying to hurt other people. Like you're suffering from something that is like, shouldn't be considered criminal. It should be considered like a real health and mental health issue. Um, But they say like, we are going to punish you and we are going to strip you from your agency and we're going to remove your voice in this basically because like you have put us through hell and now we're going to put you through hell if we think it's going to make you better. And Olivia, you know, is like, there's a vanity to her, what she says, where she's like, she's getting the same treatment she would get as if she were in a hospital right now. And it's like, no, that's categorically untrue. Like you don't have access to the same equipment. You don't have, you don't have someone who's on the, the only person who's trained is basically responsible for 24 hour care at that point, which your own body gets physically exhausted trying to do this managed care as opposed to having people in shifts. You don't have someone that can really and accurately monitor vitals. Um, There's not access to drugs like uh, Suboxone, which can help curb the cravings of addiction. Um, There's so much there that is not good for, and it makes for a great horror movie. Like, look, it makes for a fantastic horror movie. And I don't want to hold it the movie to like 100% accuracy, but just judging the characters by their action. Um, a lot of like, I don't want to say they deserve their fate, um, except for Eric, uh, but it is. <laughs> this like it the is, we hate Eric. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say they deserve their fate, but it's kind of like, look, you kind of brought it upon yourself. See, I almost read it as and again, in a like mean spirited way mm-hmm. where I don't know if the movie handles it well. And that's where I like waffle back and forth between it being incredible. But um, I almost looked at them as like collateral damage. Like look what your addiction did to mm-hmm. all your friends. Mm-hmm. I think, it, I think it reads both ways because I didn't even read it my way until I just said it out loud. I had <laughs> yeah. to hear the context of hearing, you know, Mike and you talk about it and yeah. getting there. I was like, okay, I, th- I think that was, there i think that makes sense but maybe this was intentional because i mean yours yours sounds correct too saying that out loud they both sound correct in the way where everyone has their own that could have been yeah addiction taking its toll and i think that's the beauty of movies though not to just be that general with it in the sense that anything we watched was beautiful 
It wasn't. That's that's yeah. that wasn't. It was a horror movie. But how we all read this and how, what we take away from it, I, I think it's it's what we might want to see in the film and what we might want to like take away from it and how the messages we build from it. And that is, that's, that's why we talk about these yeah. things. Tying yeah. back to comment sections. That's why we have yeah. conversations Look about things and learn do. new things about the movie. Yep. <laughs> Look at what all of us yeah. do, right? We all bring our own experiences to the art it and is. take things out of it. So, but it's you're tr- wrong. Cause yeah. it's the internet, but you're wrong. Yeah. It's your opinion. Well, wrong. It's a tricky thing that the idea of her, her addiction wreaking havoc on her friends. It's a tricky idea because like, I've said that persons that suffer from mental illness are still ultimately responsible for their actions. And, Ooh, I'm going to step in it here. There seems to be this movement right now that if someone suffers from some sort of mental illness, they feel they have carte blanche to say and do whatever they want to, and then come back and say, I'm sorry, I suffer from X. And it's like, you are definitely entitled to our empathy, to our love, our support. You're entitled to dignity and respect. You are still responsible for your actions and you are still need to be held accountable and you can't use mental illness as a cloak that can then guard you from any sort of criticism at that point. So I can understand where, what that point of view comes from. I feel like with addiction, it's so hard because there's these physical cravings that like, I mean, look what happens to Mia, like within a couple hours of not having access to her drugs, like her body just revolts against her at that point. And I think that's one of the really difficult things to see. And I think that's why it's ultimately irresponsible for her friends to suggest this is the way that we're going to treat this. There are other Mm -hmm. ways you can support your friends that suffer from addiction that would be more responsible and better and also more empathetic and more dignified for the person receiving the treatment. But again, that would make for a much crappier horror movie. Wouldn't be a good scary movie. Yeah. So I understand understand what you're coming from with that reading too. Yeah. Multiple readings. Yeah. It's a wonderful thing. Um, Um, Great. Scary movie. So let's get our, can we get our final thoughts in? I think we can get our final thoughts in. Oh Yeah. So I'll give you my Fred Rogers take right here. Cause Matt, you started off like a house on fire saying this is your favorite of the series. Um, I am generally described as a house on fire. So that that's makes sense. That's true. And that's, that's okay. That's you. You're a and sometimes a dumpster on fire, on fire but <laughs> and that's I'm a cabin right. in the woods covered in blood and you're a cabin in the mm-hmm. woods on fire. Um, this we've covered, I think 17 franchises now, something around that number at this point. Whoa. I would say that out of all the franchises we've covered, this is the only one where you can make an argument that any of these movies can be your favorite movie. And it's a good argument to make. You can make a legit argument because like, I love the Friday the third. Well, I really like the Friday the 13th movies. I think they're like the, um, I'm like, Oh, you don't know who you're talking to. I'm waiting for you to say which one you don't like. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, go ahead. Right Not me. I'm talking about Donato and I'm excited. Okay. I want you to finish this thought. All right. When someone tells me Jason goes to Manhattan is their favorite in the series, I immediately judge that person and I want to file a restraining order. I just do not. I will say, I think it was favorite in the series who said it. I don't know. I'm going to let him say his thought. I don't know if it's him who said it, but I do remember someone saying to me, okay, but it's an aquatic horror movie. And I was like, oh, holy shit. 
I like it 10 times more. And I'm going to let him say that. Jason now. takes <laughs> Manhattan as a quarter car. Oh, <laughs> I said on it on the show before, than... which is why I was like, wait, you've heard this uh, anecdote. <laughs> Jason, Jason takes Manhattan is a quarter car. Also not bad. Not my favorite of the series. Don't worry. Okay. I have favorites, mm-hmm. but I mean, mm-hmm. when my top five includes Jason X and Jason takes Manhattan, mm-hmm. you get a lot of hate and, online. And my you know top that five I don't is... say my Jason ranking. I don't yeah. rank movies, right. but I won't talk about Jason for a reason. Right. But if Jason Goes to Hell is in my top four. Uh, I love that movie. And I get a lot yeah. of hate for that. Oh, I love that movie so much. I won't give you hate for it. Because again, right. I, I told you what I like. And I, I think mm-hmm. that's the beauty of this franchise. Mm-hmm. It takes so many swings yeah. that... You can love the alien right. demonoid Jason, or you can mm-hmm. love the Carrie knockoff right. telekinetic Jason movie. Mm-hmm. Like everyone has their takes, but right, I, yeah, but, that one that one was a little yeah. bit much for me. I get but it. Yeah, Evil Dead is even Scream, and Scream is one of my probably my second favorite franchise behind Elm Street. You know, I, I you could make a case for one, two, or four. Three is a fun movie. There's no bad movies in that series, but someone who's like. That's my favorite. I'm like, eh, someone's watched too much Scooby Doo. Um, <laughs> I love three a lot, but you can it's not love my it favorite. a lot. I understand. You can love it a lot. Uh, I have uh, to no me, problem. like the first three of those yeah. movies are tied. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't rank but, movies. But we all know that. Let's Evil not go Dead. There. But Evil, but Evil Dead, Dead, they're all amazing. They're so different, and all of them are amazing. All are amazing. Yeah, if you, Matt, you coming on saying, "Here's why this is my favorite." Like, it's not my personal favorite. But I can completely understand why it's yours. I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I've been sitting here trying to come up with a retort that Child's Play is also in that camp, but I can't. Mm. I, I I was like literally sitting here stewing, going like, you could pick any one of those. And I'm like, mm-hmm. fuck, you can't. There, there are yeah. three this will is, never, ever yeah, be anyone's Because Child's Play's three exist. Yeah, yeah Child's Play exactly, exactly. So. Yeah, I mean, right. yeah. Evil Dead, one of my favorite franchises of all time. Let's be real, so... I agree. And give us more. And just let's give us more. I, I don't know what more I can give you besides mm-hmm. all of the spicy, spicy mm-hmm. takes I've already yeah. thrown at you. But I will again reiterate the fact that mm-hmm. what Fede Alvarez does for remake culture alone with Evil yeah. Dead is tremendous. Yeah. And that's even without what you just said. Evil Dead franchise, you really can't go mm-hmm. wrong. It is one of my top franchises as well in the sense that Child's Play is still my favorite. But three exists, and I have to admit that, and I have to say that Evil Dead doesn't have that down. It doesn't have that weak spot. And, you know, for me to say Evil Dead, the remake, is on top of that, in no way is to say that it is looking down as much as it is looking on a slight decrease. And, man, I, I can... Halloween for a reason is tied to Evil Dead for me. So you're not going to get much more love on that movie from anybody else. Excellent. And I will say that again. Best guess for it. Yeah, Excellent. I mean, we agree. Like, we invited mm-hmm. you. Um, we can't even be like, nah. Um, and we make only good decisions. So, yeah, um, obviously. Yes. Well, for the show, we make only good decision yeah. for the show. Like, My I'm life brilliant, is a series. Of, and I only make great decisions. <laughs> My life is a series of how did we get here? <laughs> I am constantly on fire. I'm with you. Yeah, I do not make good decisions. Everyone knows that. Um, but sometimes I do. And this mm-hmm. is one of them because I'm brilliant. Um, well, I think that's it. I think, I think we're so. ready to leave the cabin. I think we're ready so. to do what's next. Pack those bags. Yeah. Yeah. What's we're coming up? Woods. Before we get to what's coming up next, Matt, tell us about Certified for God. 
for those that you have heard of. I've forgotten. Uh, that was, it started as a little podcast between me and Matt Monagle with mm-hmm. the idea that we will rediscover horror movies with five or less critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. And the mm-hmm. idea birthed from talking about the New York City Horror Film Festival, which me and mm-hmm. Monagle happened to visit in mm-hmm. maybe 2012. No. not being friends at the time. So we had no mm-hmm. idea. We just covered this festival. We, it's this little indie horror festival. We were both yeah. there and we had no idea. So we talked about it later and we're talking about the movies that we mm-hmm. both saw separately there. And we had that moment of like, damn, it'd be really cool if people saw those movies out, outside the festival. Cause we, you know, Mike, you know this more than anybody. Mm-hmm. You can show these tremendous movies at a, at a horror festival that, play well there, don't get good distro, yeah. don't get covered by critics, and they die. So yep. the idea behind Certified Forgotten is we bring a guest on every week, we have them bring us a movie they love that fits our criteria, and it shapes the conversation in a way that is not just a review podcast where it's us re- reviewing movies with, you know, we're going to add another review to the pile. We have more of a conversation about the guest first. We talk to them about mm-hmm. how they started with horror and why they love it. Then we get into the film that they have picked for us and we have a discussion about why do you love it? Why should it be rediscovered? And why did it maybe get looked over at the time? And it it just becomes this really interesting conversation of like, how did the Poughkeepsie tapes, which is infamous now among horror fans, and it was when it came out, but how did it get under five critic reviews? And why did it get buried like that? And how does that live? So that's how our conversations kind of tie out. And from that, we have birthed the website. we generally just want to give writers another outlet and we're Mm -hmm. really trying to focus on giving writers an outlet for those pieces that aren't going to hit the seo marks that other Mm -hmm. people need and aren't going to be the big popular titles that are going to get googled so we kind of just said we want to pay you to write really weird obscure shit that we want to read and uh yeah just just it's a place for uh, people to come to us and hopefully people that don't get to write as much other places or maybe just Mm -hmm. trying to get started in a way so We want to be that place where we can offer somewhat of a platform and, you know, get some voices out there that you don't hear that much. Excellent. What would you say is is doing this show with Matt, what would you say have been some of the, maybe like a couple of the best finds things that maybe you had forgotten about or like discovered for the first time? So these are actually a lot of the first time, even even for Donato, who sees everything. Mm-hmm. But it, these, these are a lot of first-time discoveries for me, too. I will say outright some of my favorites. <laughs> well, listen, we covered Demon Wind on the podcast, so of course mm-hmm. I have to I have to put the disclaimer out that, of course, that's Demon my favorite. Wind. I had to. But no, just movies like uh, Tyler McIntyre's Patchwork was mm-hmm. one that I had wanted to see for a little bit, and it hit Shudder, and that ended up being a podcast episode uh, with Amelia. So that was honestly up there with one of my favorites. We just did one on Deep Murder, which in no way I ever would have expected to love because I didn't know what it was until I watched it. Mm-hmm. And that was a really fun episode because we did it with Trace, who loves loves Deep Murder. And it was a conversation of me talking out loud about why I fell into the same traps of people who don't watch horror movies based on how they're promoted. And I'm like, yeah, I didn't watch this because this is how it was promoted. It was promoted just as this weird softcore porno slasher, but I didn't know it was like the dude bro party masker three of softcore porno slashers. So if you promoted that, I would have watched it. So you got D murder, you got your patchwork there. Monogle turned me on to a movie called sauna, which was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. So you just kind of go down the list and you realize that, 
there are so many of these movies that are championed by a small few. They were lucky enough to see it at a fantastic fest at 11 a.m. or something of that nature. Or yeah. a Telluride at 12, as you just yep. said, when, you know, no one's really around. You can kind of show whatever you want. You can take some swings. And those swings end up being so good sometimes. And you just, you get so mad that it didn't get the distro. It didn't get the attention. It didn't go to shutter. It didn't whatever you want to talk about. So that is, we are trying just to add a little more. And we can say that a lot of our guests too have actually heard from the filmmakers, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, Becky, Becky got a message from, well, I was going to say Lindsay, but like, you know, first off, Becky just recently got a message from F uh, Javier Gutierrez who did rings Mm -hmm. and his first film uh, before the fall or before I fall one one of those, I'm I'm blanking Mm -hmm. on it, but his first film didn't get a lot of attention, played every festival in the world. So for that episode to hit and he like got really excited and just like yeah. messaged Becky and was just like, you're talking about my movie. This is awesome. I didn't know people like actually yeah. went and saw it after that. So that's what we're trying to hit on every movie. We're, we're not trying to punch down. We're not trying to do anything of that nature. We are legitimately trying to give these movies another shot. And I'm not saying that we have that influence, but maybe someday we will. But I think and the it best shows I watched, celebrate movies. Yeah. Oh, though you first. Let's see. My bad. I say I watched Patchwork because of your episode with Amelia, yeah. and uh, I was like, oh, I want to watch the movie and then listen to this episode. And like, y'all were right. Patchwork rocks. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, but again, you had an experience uh, after your episode, correct? Yeah, Thomas Street, um, who created the movie Fugue. Uh, yeah, I was really thrilled. He saw that we posted it. I posted on Instagram and he messaged me and was like thrilled and really excited that we talked about it. So that was pretty cool too. And you should watch Fugue. Okay. I'll look that up. Is that relatively new or is it? No, it's like, well, new-ish, like like four, three, four years old, something like that. Okay. Yeah. It's, it stars Canada's sexy Santa from whatever year. Fashion Santa. Sorry. Fashion Santa. Internationally acclaimed Toronto famous fashion Santa stars in this sci-fi action movie. Yeah, and it's just down the list. And, you know, we we rely completely on the Patreon as well. I, I do mm-hmm. want to make sure, like, you know, the site that was fully funded by me and Monogle, but we do mm-hmm. open the Patreon. We don't take a cut of anything. It's just mm-hmm. everything we want to do is goes back in the writer. So for so anyone where could, out there. Where could our listeners find that Patreon if they want to support it? They can find it at Certified Forgotten. We go by the same name on Patreon. So if you go to the site, we have a whole page that we just did a full migration. Everything works. This Mm -hmm. is amazing. (laughs) Um, So we do have a Patreon page. You can go right there and it just takes you right to our tiers. You can do as little or as much as you want. You can make us review things. You can make Mm -hmm. us do crazy crap like that. Or you can just throw us a dollar tip jar. Anything helps because like I said, everything goes back to the writers. Uh, We're on six articles a month right now. And with Mm -hmm we have goals to kind of hit and we can go higher and higher. So yeah, everything uh, we just want to take and give back. We don't want to take for ourselves. Uh, and it's funny. You mentioned the New York city horror film fest. Cause like in 2009, when I started a blog, like all things horror, they invited me to go out and cover it based on just like, they sent me a press release and I put it on my blog and they're like, all right, well come on and cover us. I'm like, okay. And I, I did not know like indie horror existed in 2009 and getting to see movies like Maidenhead Head and Must Love Death and um, Bereavement, all these like yeah. tiny movies. Oh, Bereavement is so I can't wait to cover the, the Bereavement franchise. Oh my God, at some point. Um, like, what? <laughs> it blew my mind how Malevolent is the best remake of Halloween that's not Halloween. It's so good. Um, 
it blew my mind that all these movies existed and like that's where the site shifted for the next 10 years we started screening movies in boston there were these tiny little movies and it for the next five years like i've made these amazing friends that to this day i would not have known otherwise so that festival literally changed how i watched horror movies uh that was my first fest yeah. too and i think kind of the same experience oh. that was my first little introduction yeah. to oh wow the smaller fests are kind of a lot of fun in that nature yes. it, it's and it's not just fun in the sense that cool we get to go mm-hmm. watch movies but no you get to go watch these yeah. directors and you, you mm-hmm. mentioned resolution before i mean yeah. resolution played it did play some of the bigger festivals mm-hmm. but it played the little ones too and yeah. you know you can see where benson and moorhead came from but yes. at the time you could see oh my god these filmmakers are going to go somewhere like you yeah. can see that they have so mm-hmm. much behind the camera that they're going to take to bigger projects and to be able to see that stuff first and again to see a patchwork to see so many of the things we covered yeah. and again most of the stuff we do cover is festival favorites mm-hmm. that just didn't get what they wanted there was yeah. this great one that um i believe it was kaylin corrigan brought it called rattle the cage and it was at a, a fantastic fest i attended and it was just i had to admit like yes i didn't watch the i forget what country it was from but like i didn't watch the foreign language mm-hmm. weird little tarantino thriller in a prison um at 11 a.m because that's the slot it was and then i say that out loud and all of a sudden like crap but like this is what i missed so it kind of makes a readdress how you how you look at things and yeah. Festivals like uh, the New York City Horror Film Festival and Brooklyn Horror Film Festival, all these things. Every city has its own art horror film festival yeah. now. Uh, there are many, but I would stress so much to get to them if you can, because yeah. this is where you're going to meet a lot of cool people, where you're going to meet a lot of uh, filmmakers who are going to be bigger names that you won't even know of yet. And mm-hmm. there's no real better better place to do it. Yeah, absolutely. 100% agree. And where else, if listeners want to follow you online, where should they go? You can find me at Donato Bomb, D-O-N-A-T-O-B-O-M-B, on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram. You will see my writing at the places Lindsay mentioned, so uh, I won't rattle them off again. Just follow the socials, and I promise I will tweet everything I write 17 different times and totally clog your timeline. I'm just kidding. I won't do that. Okay. That's okay. I also have an authory page. Uh, If you guys don't use authory, I'm not paid to say this, but please use authory if you're a writer. It just, Mm -hmm. it's an aggregate that puts all your stuff right there, does it for you, tracks all your sites. So if you want to find me, Matt Donato on Authory, go to that too. And everything I write goes in one handy little place. Okay. All right. I will. Lindsay's like, all right, all right. I'm like, all right. Because I got sick of just having a a Tumblr where I had to post links on that I would never do because Mm -hmm. I haven't done that in over a year. So Mm -hmm. this does it for me and, you know, makes it easier for the people. I dig that. Mike, where where can we find you? You can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian. You can also find me on the Psychoanalysis Podcast, a horror therapy podcast where we are breaking down different mental health tropes in horror movies. Every month we cover a different topic. For the month of May, we have done uh, residential treatment, and uh, which is a little bit different from what we normally do. I think Unsane is our latest episode on that. Um, and next month in June, we are doing something a little different. We're doing like Bad Dad's Month. So we are doing, I believe The Stepfather is one of our movies, movie that I adore and that really holds up. And I think Frailty is our second movie for that month. So go to Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast. Lindsay. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Smash Travis, S-M-A-S-H-T-R-E-V-E-S. Um, 
And yeah, you know, doing all the same old stuff posted there. I recently visited our good friends, the horror queers, Joe Lipset and Trace Thurman to talk all things Saw. So if you want to hear me talk about Saw even more than you've already heard, uh, please check that out. And I think this episode will probably come out after this happens. But on Friday, the 20th? Yes. On Friday, the 20th, I will be on. Hmm? I think it's the 21st. Friday, the 21st. I will be on the Merry Hour, which is Donato's uh, web show. Oh, wait, no, that's on Saturday, Lens. I hope you have that date right. Saturday, the 20th. You got there. Saturday, the 22nd. We made a a graphic and everything. (laughs) Glad you got that one in the calendar. On Saturday, the 22nd, I will be appearing on a show that will be live streamed. But if you aren't hearing this until after, you can rewatch it on the website, the Merry Hour Anniversary Special. I will be defending my beer pong honor, this time against my usual partner, Matinato, uh, with one of his other usual partners. And the two of us will be uh, trying to win some money. To what Lindsay is saying, we are partnering with uh, Ter- Terry Menard and gaily dreadful and we were we are going Absolutely. to be taking all of our super chats and all of our donations that are usually sent to us on the merry hour which is me and perry never off just doing our shooting the shit on a movie talk and then play a little mm-hmm. beer pong but everything we make that episode on saturday is going straight to terry's uh gaily helpful for 2021 that's the year we're in right that makes sense yep and uh yeah we're gonna help out as much as we can there so hopefully gonna make a little dent and uh send send everything terry's way and hopefully give a little more there Excellent. Excellent. Yes. Well, it's been a wonderful talk on the evil dead and it's going to be hard to leave this franchise behind, but I'm excited about our next one. Lindsay, I know you're even more excited because you love these movies. Grab your crosses, grab your Bibles. Um, that was unplanned. Um, yes. <laughs> grab your demonology and your ability to lionize villains and come watch us take on the great demon Valak. Valak? I still say Valak. Mm-hmm. Up next, we are tackling The Conjuring. The Conjuring verse, as it is. Seven movies. Seven movies. Seven movies. Happy to explain. Oh, boy. You're going to have, like, the whole charts and graphs and everything's going to be up. Yep. Yeah, there's uh, our good friend Laura, who we should invite on this episode on uh, for an episode. Okay. Um, I went to see Annabelle comes home with her at the press screening, and she was like, "So where does this sit in continuity?" And I was like, "Oh, Laura, I am so glad you asked." <laughs> Did you have a chart at the ready? Let me take <laughs> it course. out. It was like off the top of my head. Um, There's gonna be Charlie seen... Day in that. Uh, it's always sunny episodes. Sylvia. But it's Sylvia. I was like, technically, it's a spinoff of the prequel, or it's kind of a prequel to the spinoff. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's what's next. And I can't wait to chat about it. Excellent. Well, you better give so much love to the nun. You know I will. I own it. I've not watched it. So it'll be a first side watch for me. So it's so good. The haters okay. are wrong. Okay. So I had a lot of scary nuns in Catholic school. So there might be some triggering that will go on there. I get it. All right. So listeners, thank you so much for your support. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, please go ahead and wherever you get your podcast, rate, review, and subscribe to us. So we show up in your feed every week. 
Your reviews go a huge way to helping new listeners find us whenever you send in a five-star review and a few nice words. It helps whatever the algorithm does uh, and puts us in the forefront and more people listen to the show. Uh, and you guys have been just so supportive of the past over the past couple of years and watching this grow has been great. Uh, I won't plug the Patreon for too long, except to say, go to patreon.com, pod and the pendulum. You get a bonus episode every month. You get other goodies. I think we're going to record one of those right now very quickly once we hang up here. Uh, but this month's bonus episode where we were all Sam Raimi all the time is on Darkman. And that is a super fun chat between Lindsay and I that you don't want to miss. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Have a great one.